Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Wide Men Can Jump on the Wide Men Radio Network, located at blogtalkradio.com slash widemencantjump. We're brought to you by the law offices of Stephen P. New, wowfreecam.com, and facebook.com slash makeupkennedy. You can check us out anywhere and everywhere you find podcasts. Now, for the host of your flagship program, here's Tom Robinson and Nate Bush. It's Nate back with you. It is Wide Men Can't Jump, episode 56. And Tom Robinson, the scavenger hunt continues. The search is on for our one and only Rom Tomlinson, Tim. As Tim joins me tonight from the Great White North in Canada. What's up, Tim? I am now the permanent co-host of the show. <laughs> of course, Tom, very Tom busy can, the holiday season. When Tom is ready to come back, he may be able to regain his position, but I am the permanent co-host from this going forward, from this moment on. <laughs> well, just kidding. Tom, just is, kidding. Uh, Tom, Tom is, is busy. stuck right now working. Uh, he's, having, he's basically working every day for the most part. Um, the international shipping... Yes, you I heard. heard that he had a delivery to Boston. Oh and wow! In, and he got lost in the massive two tits. Dear God, were, were you up all night with that? No, thankfully not. <laughs> <laughs> but if Tom could get lost somewhere, that's where wow. he would get lost. That's a whole different story for another time. But it's Nate, it's Tim. Indeed. We're back. White men can't jump. And man, we have got a jam-packed episode. You're not going to believe this, Tim. I actually had to turn, I had to turn guests down this week. <laughs> they will be well, on next week's show. <clears throat> well, once yep. again, the uh, the uh, soap opera that is the NBA has been hard at work this year or this week, this year or two for that matter. Oh, number, this week especially. What a week in news. Yeah, it's been a wild week. Let's go ahead and get started here. We're going to go ahead and look at it. Markel Fultz, you know, we could almost, if it wasn't for Markel Fultz, I don't know if this show would exist. So uh, we're going to thank Markel Fultz first off for giving us. Markel is the gift that keeps on giving. He really is. We, We can't do anything without mentioning him. And Markel Fultz, thank you so much. And if you're a Sixers fan, this is the noise you make when you hear the term Markel Fultz. Because that's where you're at right now. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. And now with the news. You, you broke the story on the Wide Man uh, Podcast Network page on Facebook. Uh, why don't you go ahead and, and let our, our listeners know well, what was missed? You know, I'm, I'm sort of, I, I don't know where to start. Because the whole thing just seems there's just something wrong with it, if you know what I mean. Uh, so, you know, okay, we're, he, this guy has had a uh, how long now is this? Two years? He's had this ongoing struggle of this. This is his second year right now. Okay, in the so for two for two years they've searched for what what's wrong with this guy, and plethora of of doctors has looked at this guy and found very little sort of a muscular imbalance 
which still has most of us scratching our heads because we're not really sure what it is, even after reading about it. And now after today's news, that just gets more complicated, but we'll get there. Um, so suddenly, uh, the, the Sixers trade for Jimmy Butler. Uh, then the move is made that T.J. McConnell is probably just going to be the guy for now anyway, and Fultz is probably going to ride the bench at best. Well, well, Suddenly, of course, Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is going to be your starter at point guard, but T.J. McConnell will be the backup uh, right, so far. But, but it doesn't look like Fultz is going to see much much in the way of minutes, even less than no. what he's been seeing. So now suddenly his agent slash lawyer, uh, which is his right, admittedly, though, uh, decided to seek out medical attention from somewhere else, which I have tried today. I tweeted half the universe to try to find out who exactly is this team of specialist doctors who have made this diagnosis. Because the only thing I've read in the news is that his agent has said this is what's wrong with him. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't diagnosed, but I'd like to know who made this diagnosis that all these other specialists on the East Coast, for some reason, weren't smart enough to figure out. But that's a whole other story. So he comes down with, you know, what is this? I don't even know. Thrombasic, whatever the hell it is. It's the perfect thing to have. There's no clinical test to prove you have it or don't have it. And there is no cure that will work or, you know, that will definitively work or not work. So as long as you're willing to say you have it, you can yeah. have it. Now, and I'm not saying he doesn't have it. Don't get me wrong. But it's a mighty convenient. It, the optics on this do not look very good. And well, then today, to top, to top it off, and then you can have, I'll just throw this out there, Stephen A. Smith goes on national television and says, I'm not saying the guy's not hurt. What I am saying, though, is there's a lot more to this than just he has a sore neck. And he won't say what. But he says this guy has an issue outside of the physical realm. So you tell me at this point. I couldn't tell you. And honestly, uh, I, we see on our page, we see it, it, the diagnosis came. John McAdams shared this. Uh, Mark Helfold has been diagnosed with neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. A, it's a physical injury that affects nerves between the neck and shoulder resulting in abnormal functional movement and range of motion. So that's going to affect his Well, it's going to affect his ability to shoot a basketball, but you know, he didn't have that injury when he was shooting uh, a horrible percentage back in Washington before the, everyone took him with the top pick. Yeah. But either way. He didn't have it uh, during all those practices when he wasn't playing when the asshole was shooting uh, one-handers yeah. from three-quarter court. And all that nonsense. It's like I said, the optics on this are bad. I'm not saying the guy's not hurt. I won't go that far because I don't know uh, Markel Feltz well enough to know if he's capable of uh, going down that road or not. So I won't say he is. But if I'm the Philadelphia 76ers, all I know is this guy is gone as fast as I can get him out of town, however I can get him out of town. Because it's just another mess waiting to become a bigger mess. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, the man's stats, and it's 
He's played 33 games in his whole career. So take that for what it's worth. He's only started 15 games, and he's only averaging 20 minutes a game. He's averaging three of eight shooting for 41%, and he, man, point one, point one. Now listen to that, point one average free uh, three-pointers made to .5 three-pointers attempted for a 26% three-point percent, 27 if you round up. Uh, his average field goal percentage, like I said, 42%. Now listen to this one, Tim. Average free throw percentage, 53%. He was shooting like on Shaq? his entire career. Oh, that's, that's, that's like awful. Shaq-like numbers. Yeah, and he shot, and he shot that in college, and everybody, and everybody was touting this guy, and, and and Tom even said it. Tom came out and said, you know, this guy's averaging, you know, his free, free throw percentage is awful, and he's a guard. He's averaging seven point seven points per game. He was up last year. He averaged seven point one points per game. He was up this season until he left. He was up a point, uh, one point one points to eight point two points per game. So this guy. I don't know. He's only 20 years old, and he's supposed to play a shooting guard or a point guard, and he can't shoot. And and he was it's, the number one pick in the draft. Well, that was I read that today too. That was one of the statements that was made in the uh, that his uh, lawyer made, his lawyer agent there. That uh, obviously you know there's something wrong with him. You don't forget how to play basketball, and he was a first round pick. You know, first overall, to which I wanted to reply in the into the story, but he never should have been. That's the whole. This wouldn't even probably be a story if he would have been picked. You know, I don't know, thirteenth overall in the second round. Nobody would really care that much. It's the fact that this guy. I mean, he stands to make, and it's looking like he's going to see all the money because I don't know how they're going to get rid of him. Fifty-one million dollars over yeah. his five years of which so far he has earned $15 million and played, what did you say, 600 minutes? 33. 33 games. And 20 minutes a game, roughly, right? Yeah, roughly 20 minutes a game. Okay, so he's played 600 minutes of basketball for $15 million. Yeah. Wow. Absurd. Sign me up to that. Where do I get that deal? In Fultz's uh, loan loan college season – at Washington, he averaged 23 points a game. So I understand he was a scorer. I get that, and that's what people were looking at. Um, but again, he shot 64 percent, 65% from free throw. That's dropped. I mean, he shot 41% from three. Granted, three pointers were closer. This he was a guy that was averaging 35 minutes a game. He was only 8 of 17 shooting. 47% shooting is not that good, especially when most of his points are coming from inside the goal. It, it was almost like you, you could have saw this coming. Well, $25,000 per minute it has cost them so far. Goodness. And that does not get into the at the t- t- starting January 1. That that doesn't get into that because now he gets a he gets a, what is he he made seven million his first year eight point three this year yeah uh, nine point seven next year then he's slated to see twelve point two 
and 15.9 the year after that. Now, if I'm not although mistaken. they do have a they do have a 2020 club option, so they can cut them off yeah. after next year. Yeah, but he, still, he is going to be. Uh, you're probably looking. Yeah, you're probably looking at a guy who's probably going to become an unrestricted free agent. They won't ex. I, I just got a feeling they're not going to exercise that player option at twelve million dollars. But this is a guy who has played thirty three games, and he's out indefinitely now. So we don't under we don't know when. And then in twenty twenty one, if he if they picked up the player option at fifteen million dollars for twenty twenty one or twenenty twenty two, because once the fifteen million dollars they stretch the contract out. The 2021-2022 cap hit he's going to get is $24 million. He's going to get paid $15 yeah. million, but the cap's going to get hit $24 million because of the way the deal is, is stretched. And he's averaging and $8 you know what? million. Dollars you you say they won't pick him up, and yet I have a feeling they might. They, they based can't. On the, based on this, there's already a rumor running around that if the Sixers try to do anything, they're going to sue them that they wrongfully diagnosed him, and the reason that he is a wreck and a mess is their fault. Now, I call hogwash on that, of course. But do you want to – I don't know what that would cost to litigate and the PR and all the rest. They might be easier to just pay him and bury him in the – you know, just – he'd be one of those guys. I mean, we've seen that before. Um, there was guys playing for the Lakers last year that were getting paid. I can't remember the guy's name. Was getting a ridiculous sum of money and never saw the floor. I mean, it's not unheard of. Um, because I said that that would frighten me. If I owned the Seventy Sixers, I would be very much afraid of. I would not want to go down that road. Yeah, and, and we've talked about the Sixers in the past, and they seem like an organization. <laughs> that is focused more on on the bottom line than they are winning, as we've heard. Now, there's been reports that say otherwise, but from what we've seen and what we know, they seem like an organization that's more focused on, okay, we'll save some money this way, um, we'll get this player. Now, they're probably going to have to give Jimmy Butler a max deal, and that's probably coming. You're going to see Jimmy Butler, if he re-signs with the Sixers, he's going to get a max contract. Um, not 100%. Embiid has gotten paid. Ben Simmons is going to have a contract extension coming up soon. Let me uh, let me check that out should, real quick. They should base it on how many threes he attempts, and then they won't have to pay him anything. <laughs> I'm about to say, then he would be uh, paying them. But <laughs> Ben Simmons' contract... Ben Simmons' contract is right now, this is, let me see here. Okay, we're in the first year of Simmons' new contract. Or are we? No, no, forgive me, forgive me. We are in the third year of his rookie deal, um, and he will be in the fourth year next season. He uh, started with the team in 2016, so we're looking at, he's got the four-year rookie deal, they already have a qualifying offer for the 2020 season in place at $10 million, which his salary has slowly increased. He went from 5.9 to 6.1. This year he's at 6.4. And then next year, 8.1. And then the following year, the qualifying offer is 
But after that, he'll be considered a free agent. So if you're going to pay Jimmy Butler, you're going to pay out the wazoo. you got Simmons coming back on a rookie deal, but you're going to have to pay him eventually too. Embiid's already got his money. So you're thinking if you're Philly, Ben Simmons if you're, has got to look at that and go, you're going to give Markel Fultz $15 million? It's the way the uh, the contracts are structured with the uh, – I realize that, but but once they've PB exercised deal. their option for, for 2019 and now what, they've got a qualifying offer on the table for 2020 for Simmons, yeah. correct? Well, you you got okay, to think are you gonna, you gotta think they're not going to exercise that player option on faults. I just don't see that. They almost can't afford to, and you got to – I, I think can't. maybe you've got to grow a you got to grow a set until – Fultz and his agent lawyer there, you know what, I'll see you in court, if that was to go yeah, down Yeah, with, with the way the contract, with the way the contract is panned out, if they try to keep Butler and they successfully do, they're probably going to want to go out while Simmons is on his rookie deal and try and pick up someone else, maybe another, maybe they can restructure, get rid of J.J. Reddick's deal, restructure some things, and they could probably get another max player. There's a possibility there, maybe. It would depend on how how much cap is there because Embiid's gotten paid. Embiid's the guy. The well, next and guy they're going to want to watch. He is the guy. I mean, they had to pay him. Well, he is. I mean, you got to pay. Him. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, they had to pay him. I don't think anybody's too upset about that, except that he's no. And, and I don't even schnook. I don't. <laughs> I'm not surprised that you're going to pay Simmons because Simmons has proved his value to the team. You cannot any longer. Pay Markel Fultz based on potential. You cannot do it. Not now, not no. ever. You just basically have to – I think you offer him a buyout next season. You say, okay, kid, we're going to buy you out. We're going to stretch how it hits the cap over the next four years. You know, thank you. Um, get better. If you get better, we'll try this again. If you think you're back and you're ready and you're physically able to work through this, then – We'll give you another chance. Well, if you're but, if you really are a first round number one pick, you shouldn't have any trouble. I mean, see, there's there's the next part of this story that nobody's talking about either, and I'm kind of surprised. This the diagnosis for this thing is what six to eight weeks of rehab, and he should be fine. Correct? He's out. What of happens definitely. when he's not? What happens when he's not? What happens when wow. six to eight weeks comes back and they throw him back in the lineup, and the fucker starts throwing up bricks? Now what? Well, we saw the the free throws. We've seen the double clutching. This is a guy that, and, and I hate to toot our own horns here, but we saw this coming. If you've listened he to the show over the past year, I know he didn't yeah, look we, low too, and that's my other argument. He didn't look like a guy who was hurting when he shot. He just looked messed up. No, yeah, you know, he, he just looked like he didn't know what he was arm. doing. And I and I don't recall in all of this whole scenario ever reading anywhere him saying, you know, my neck hurts or my arm hurts. That was never ever sort of brought up. It was just you know his mechanics are all screwed up and he's just like he forgot how to shoot. I never read anywhere that it was about pain, which according to the diagnosis of this thing is that that's what it's all about. So Apparently. you know I don't know. It's it's very strange, um, but I said, I mean, what do, what do they do? What do they do with him if he comes back and he sucks? <laughs> Honestly, and, and, and where do they, where do they go from there? Okay, well, we've taken it upon ourselves to go and get this 
diagnosis on our own, which was their right, but still I find kind of weird. Um, and it turns out that that doesn't help. <laughs> now what? More more gong show? And did the Sixers go at that point, okay, we got to get away from this mess? Although yeah, they seem to and like it's the starting drama to... It's starting to actually become a a problem in Philly. Now, last season, people were giving him the benefit of the doubt. They were willing to wait. Now, it's just, it's kind of a, okay, this is ridiculous. We've got Jimmy Butler. We need to win now. They, I think, you know, we, we dubbed the process dead uh, for a while. So, now it's time to win in Philly. You got rid of two well, we... pieces you had under contract for a while. You gave them to Minnesota, and we thank you for that. But now it's time to win. There's no time to to waste. Really, it's time to play ball. And We're gonna change if you it. don't, if you don't re-sign uh, Butler, then you've just you've killed the franchise. So Philadelphia has we're to think they're going to re-sign Butler. The they new, have to think the that. new. B- the new catchphrase is going to be trust the diagnosis. <laughs> trust the diagnosis. <laughs> we're going to go. We're going to go with that until till that falls flat, and then we'll have to come up with something else. But for now, it's trust the diagnosis. It's a whole <laughs> total mess, and I don't know what the hell they're going to do. They don't know. He doesn't know. His agent doesn't know. I wonder, too, do the 76ers now get some kind of confirmation of this diagnosis? Do they you would assume they would. Guys? You'd think, but you would I mean, assume. according to what I read, he's 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 getting his treatments in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's why he's not with the team right now. Uh, so, so who knows? Honestly, this what is a, such a, a screwed-up situation. And it, and it seems like it's going to end up in court. And if you need to end up in court... You need to give one of our sponsors a call. Well done. Thank you. That would be Stephen P. New Law Office at newlawoffice.com. Call Stephen P. New. Personal injury, automobile accidents, workplace accidents, mesothelioma, social security disability, unfair insurance practices, family law, employment discrimination, all these things and more can be helped by New Law Office. Stephen P. New will fight for you and your rights. Mr. New. What is there to do if you're in an automobile accident? When car wrecks happen, insurance is always involved. Did you know that in West Virginia, we have the highest percentage of uninsured and underinsured motorists driving on our highways? That means that when you're in a car wreck, your attorney needs to know how to work with your insurance company to maximize the compensation that you'll receive. If you've been in a car wreck, call me, Stephen P. News. For your free consultation, call 1-888-692-8084 or visit newlawoffice.com. Stephen P. New will fight for you to get you where you need to be. He's a proud sponsor of our program, and Mr. New is a stand-up national and local attorney. Stephen P. New, attorney at law, answers to your legal questions. And after that amazing transition there by me, give big thanks to our sponsor, the law offices of Stephen P. New, NewLawOffice.com. Make sure you check him out. We've, Steve's a great guy. We've got to talk to him. We need him to trademark trust the diagnosis. <laughs> we really, and then I, I really think we need to move on getting it into pop culture right now. Um, <laughs> for anything, that, anytime song? anybody, 
anytime anybody is an underachieves, we're gonna have to we gotta we gotta get this into the lingo. Uh, oh, he pulled the faults. <laughs> he just folded. We, got, it we up. gotta start. We gotta start working that into our just our daily conversation. It's, oh, you're such a fault. <laughs> I feel like we almost do that as it is already. But. Well, we sort of, we sort of do, but we gotta we gotta get it out there more. Means we gotta get that trending. Trust the. We should try that. Let's hashtag trust the diagnosis tonight. Trust the diagnosis. We get, we'll try that out. See yeah, if we we'll, get that. See if we can get that. I'm gonna go ahead. And, I'm gonna go ahead and, and post that on Twitter. Actually, with the show link here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and do that. Trust the diagnosis because it's. So. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. It but is. We have some other ridiculous news too, though, don't we? We get some other we ones do. we wanted the, to look at. Yeah, there, there's at Enough least one more, and we have got conversations galore tonight. I talked to a lot of people in the world of basketball, and we have got a lot of NBA to come at you here tonight on the show, but. I wanted to get Tim's opinion here. Tim, Fred Hoiberg was fired by the Bulls. We saw the article. We saw he was released. The Chicago Bulls were Tom and I's uh, sleeper. And, boy, I patted ourselves on the back a lot this season. But this is one that I can't pat ourselves on the back about. (laughs) They be sleeping all right. (laughs) Yeah, sleep sleep is the key word there. But Uh, the Bulls have Not quite the worst record in basketball. If it wasn't for Phoenix, close. They'd be there. <laughs> um, I gotta wonder about the. I mean, the Bulls. It, again, this is another one where the optics on this don't look that great. Um, wh- how did the general manager escape the axe in this in this move? He fired the coach. That's how. <laughs> right, but. That's kind of that's kind of the way I look shouldn't at it. Mr. Shouldn't Mr. Foreman have seen the axe first, or both of them? Based uh, on the roster I, I, they got, based on the roster they got, it. it's it's not a honestly. I'm sticking with it's not a bad roster. It's just you have Lori Mark Lori who has not played all season. Chris Dunn is injured, so he's not been able to play. And you're dealing with a young team who really most people, unless you're Tom and myself, projected to not be very good. Zach Levine's a good shooter. That's about it. Jabari Parker's went on record of saying he doesn't play defense. I mean, um, you're not you're I mean, not gonna sure, have, your they, best two, honestly, your best two defenders are hurt. I mean sure you got a guy named Shaquille on that team, but he don't play like one. Yeah, I mean, you have Bobby Portis, and they're really hurting at the wing position, and there's just a lot. Hey, who's who's their who's their superstar? Markkinen is on the brink. Markkinen is on the brink of becoming one, but right they don't now, really have. They don't a got one. No, they don't. All right, so yeah, and and we've pretty much established in the NBA that you've got to have one, and you probably you need do. at least two to be any good. If you want to make noise, yes. So, is it really that surprising that they're as bad as they are? It was surprising to me, but at the same time, when I look at what they're missing and I look at at the injuries that they've sustained here with this injury bug, this injury plague that's going around, it's not all that surprising. So, same time, yes, but at the same time, no. I mean, the Chicago ownership is 
well, sort of known for, uh, well, how should I put this nicely? Slightly <laughs> tightwadish, I guess you could say. They've always kind of been about um, trying to get more out of guys for less, if that kind of makes sense. Even going back to the Jordan days where, you know, can you imagine how good the Bulls would have been if they had ever pulled the trigger on a real on another like franchise type player? I mean, did they need to? <laughs> no, but how good question. they could have been, how good they would have been if they had of. It'd have been like the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, okay, sure they had, sure they had Scottie Pippen, but he was never. I mean, that kind of got proven when he left Chicago that he really. I mean, he was a good player, but not a yeah, great one, he's really. Pretty good now, Scottie Pippen. Pretty don't good, ever but, underestimate Scottie Pippen. But we're not we're not talking. Uh, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, good. Yeah. Well. Okay, so that's what yeah. I'm getting at. I, yeah, I understand. Mm. I get that. I get that. I mean, that. imagine though, but I mean, they 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 basically took okay, Michael Jordan is great, and we're gonna fill in these holes with whoever or whatever we can find, and make it work. And if when it doesn't, Jordan will score 55 and we'll win anyway. Well, it works. And, I mean, it's hard I mean, to Jerry deny. Ransdorf has always been about making money. I mean, he does the same thing with the White Sox. They're never any good because they don't spend any money. Um, now, maybe he still makes money, and maybe that's all he cares about, and I would understand that if that's the case. But I don't know. I've always had a problem with um, sports in general where uh, they assemble a team, where the coach really doesn't have any say about who the players are going to be, or very little. Uh, yeah. The team at the beginning of the year, uh, let's be honest, most people said, okay, the Bulls are going to be mediocre at best. Yeah. Then they're not mediocre. They're worse than mediocre, and everyone is, oh, well, fuck, fire the coach. Okay, I, I think, don't under- I, think I, mean, they re- I think they got rid of him too early. I really do. I think Fred I think so. I mean, I, I don't – I mean, who's 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 what? Are you, who's coming in there that's going to make them any better? Like changing the coach is going to do what? Well, they did. Um, they did sign uh, one of their assistants to. Uh, right, but but I but I highly doubt that changing the coach there is going to turn the Bulls from five to twenty. Jim into, Jim into forty and now, twenty. Jim Bowen is I mean, now the coach. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe that uh, the Bulls are going to – well, when did he get fired? When was that? Uh, about a they week ago. Played? Okay, and they've been what? Since he's Let's been gone, here. have they been – they got hammered twice? They lost the Pacers yesterday by six, and they lost to, to the, the Rockets. They yes. haven't won since. Yeah, they lost to the Rockets by a pretty good amount, and they <laughs> lost to the Pistons. They haven't won a game and since they beat Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. And uh, oh my they're the God. worst team right now. They've lost seven in a row, if that tells you anything. Yeah, and then they beat they beat Phoenix, and then they got four more L's after that. So they're yeah. eleven. They're one in eleven in their last twelve. So before th- there's a new Bleacher Report article out on the situation. So let me uh, kind of share that. Kyle Newport's reporting. All right, fire, and fire he, that out for us. He's reporting from Dar- Darnell uh, Darnell Mayberry. It has been reported that before Fred Hoiberg lost his job earlier this week, the Chicago Bulls coach had lost control of the team. 
The Athletics' Darnell Mayberry reported Tuesday that the players no longer believed in the system and had become increasingly emboldened in undermining his authority. Meanwhile, Zach Levine, the Bulls star, was reportedly allowed to do anything he wanted. All of that contributed to the fears of a player's revolt at some point in the season, according to Mayberry. So there's that report there from Bleacher. So there could have been a little more to that. So Zach that's, Levine that's thinks he's LeBron, does he? Apparently, but that's brand new material. That just came out an you hour can, ago. You can get away with that move if you win. Player, yeah, you I can, mean, you know, you, can. you know, you can you can pull that off if you if you provide championships, they'll probably take that. But when you're 5 and 20, <laughs> um I pretty much say everybody's got improvement to be made in their game, including whoever the best player on the well, team is. Apparently, Hoiberg thought if you pay a guy $24 million, you should let him be able to do what he wants to do. But you can't do maybe that. They should, uh, maybe they should have hired Ty Lue for the job. Oh, dear God. <laughs> he's used to being told how things yeah, are going to be. Yeah, so he maybe is. He, fit, he might have fit right in there. Because I did read on a on a related note, I read that there's uh, – I might as well bring it up now because it kind of fits the story that there's rumblings in L.A. that Luke Walton is – on the hot seat because LeBron is already uh, shrugging off the plays sent in from the bench and just running whatever he wants to run. <laughs> and is anybody surprised by that? I mean, really? Are, well, are you shocked? We certainly aren't because we we said it before he even played a game there that that was going to happen. And oh, we did. And if Luke got mean... surprised, uh, then he probably needs to start paying attention to if, what goes on in the rest of the league because it's not remember Luke I don't Walton. think to anybody. Luke Walton's only coaching experience comes from coaching the Golden State Warriors when Steve Kerr was out. But Tim, I do you think and he's I a pretty coach. good coach. I'm not saying he's a bad coach, but you and I could coach the Golden State Warriors right now. Okay, here, let, let me drop a play. You ready the, for the uh, play? Let me drop a play. Yeah. Go shoot a three. That's what I always used to say about uh, whoever was winning the Stanley Cup. Well, shit, I could coach them. We'll just send out that line of good guys. Fucking go out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they don't need it's to not hard. They don't need to be told what to do. They know what to do. <laughs> exactly. You know, I'll just, exactly. This, I'll is, just not, send this out, is not uh, rocket science. Yeah, okay, okay. We, we, we're we uh, tied. We're coaching Golden State. We're tied. What should we do? Um, well, let Steph Curry have the ball, and yeah. Yeah, okay, we're done. I feel like Luke Walton was actually just placing room service orders the whole time he was uh, coaching the Warriors. <laughs> it's like, hey, Luke, how many women do you want in your, in your hotel room, and what do you want to eat on? I mean, it's, yeah, you know, in one way it's, it's kind of laughable because I think sometimes they do put um, uh, the emphasis on what a coach brings to the team is sometimes – depending on the coach and the team, it is overrated. I mean, I, I think you could put, like you said, you could put a lot of guys in charge of the uh, Golden State Warriors and they'd still win. I mean, yeah, it wouldn't I mean, be because the coaching was good and or bad. It would, you know, it would be more about personalities and that sort of thing than it would be about, because uh, I always laugh too, you know, like, yeah, and you see it in every game. You know, okay, the score's tied, there's uh, six seconds left, and they're calling 62 timeouts. Well, they're going to talk about it. And I always say, talk about what? <laughs> they don't. You're trying to tell me that the, the five starting players for the Golden State Warriors are actually going over to the coach because they don't know what they're supposed to do right now? 
Well, they're all playing you rock, paper, be. scissors, trying to figure out yeah, who gets the ball. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and this nonsense, well, you know, well they're just, this is what they're going to do if this happens, and this is what they're going to do if this happens. The bullshit. That, that's garbage. We're going to give the – probably all they're talking about is we're going to give the ball to him. Does everybody know that? Okay. Because nine times out of ten, you don't know what the other team is going to do anyway. And if it was that simple, I mean, how many defenses can you run with five seconds left in the game? Like, I mean, to me, it's just a matter. It's a matter of, you know, whoever is willpower to win and a better team is probably going to. I mean, how how often do you hear, oh, well, they, the play they called was just totally silly. And the other You'd team be saw surprised. that coming from a mile away. Well, yeah, that's because the coach called the play. Instead of <laughs> the players do something that they should have just would have done. I mean, Steph Curry doesn't need to be told I can shoot the ball from behind the three-point line and get three points. Nobody needs to tell him that or to tell him yeah. when he's open or not open. He knows. True. And certainly he's some, the, certainly he's some 62-year-old some 62 <laughs> year old white guy. Though. Yeah, some 62-year-old white guy who hasn't played basketball in 30 years certainly doesn't isn't going to know better than him about whether he should have taken that shot or not. That's just ridiculous. It is, but, but let me tell you, let me tell you what, Tim. Let me tell you what is not ridiculous, and that is what's going on over with our people at WowFreeCam.com. Nothing ridiculous going on over there. Let's mm-hmm. hear from them. All right. I'm too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave. WowFreeCam.com is the number one cam site on the internet, and they are our gracious sponsors. And we want to invite you. Check them out over at wowfreecam.com. Anything you could imagine and whatever you want is just one click away if you go to wowfreecam.com. What's some of the things you could check out over on wowfreecam.com? Motorboat? Play the motorboat? You motorboat son of a bitch, you old sailor you. Or you could be into... Two chicks at the same time, man. Whatever it is that you're looking up for, WowFreeCam.com will leave you with one reaction and one reaction only. You won't want to miss out all the fun going on at WowFreeCam.com, so be sure to show them some love and go over. Hey, it's in the name. It's all free. Must be 18 or older to access the website, but make sure you get there as quick as you can to check out all the fun. Going on over at WowFreeCam.com. Again, must be 18 or older to visit. Big thanks to our guys over at WowFreeCam.com. They are helping us out and being amazing. So thanks to WowFreeCam.com. Check them out. And, you know, WowFreeCam.com, those guys have helped us out more than I can even talk about. They have been influential in helping get us our very own website and it is finally up and running (laughs) widemencantjump.com is officially a thing we launched last night so if you're listening right now you're able to go ahead and access we don't have any uh blog blog articles posted yet we'll have those coming there'll be some stuff popping up on there you can check out the podcast there uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on at wow for or not at wow free camp well there is a lot of stuff going on right well there's a lot going on there too but but there's you, a, there should be you recognize be, uh, that theme music? Well, yeah. That's uh, right said false. I'm too imbalanced <laughs> for this shot. <laughs> I'm too sexy for this shot. 
too sexy for this shot. Jesus. Oh, my nerves. <laughs> They're hot. <laughs> right said false. I like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm too imbalanced for this free throw. I'm a baller. I trust the diet. Oh, yeah, there's some, there's some <laughs> lyrics there that <laughs> could oh, be written. Oh, God. Look out. <laughs> but Look him out, right uh, now. Frank. <laughs> Frank, where's Frank? <laughs> Frank. <laughs> See him right now. We're going to go ahead and jump to my talk with Shane Young from B-Ball Breakdown. And he and I actually did a little, you know, we're going to call this the Ed Bogus special. Uh, because Ed loves the around the league segments. We jump all over the league and talk about no, just anything and everything so, NBA. We talk about Easter Conference. Is it sponsored by like, some type of food? It's sponsored by Sheets. The Ed Bogus segment sponsored by Sheets. And Ed, uh, Wisconsin Cheese Bites are the greatest thing in the world. So you, sir, are okay with me on that. So the Ed Bogus seg- segment of the week. Brought to you by, by Sheets Gas Station <laughs> here in the United <laughs> States. We jumped the shark, my friend. <laughs> We're going to take hear my talk with Shane Young from B-Ball Breakdown, talking all things NBA. So let's go to that right <laughs> now. Joining me right now is Shane Young. He is a freelance NBA columnist, contributor for B-Ball Breakdown, and uh, hails from the great state of Kentucky in Louisville. Shane, thanks for coming on. Oh, no problem, man. Uh, saying great as an adjective is a strong word for Kentucky, but, hey, I'll, I'll live with it. <laughs> hey, I've been to Louisville several times, so it's a, it's a great place. Actually, when, last time I ventured to Louisville was for the PGA Championship at Von Halle, so... That was a good time. Oh, Roy Halladay. Uh, or, uh, not, why did I say that? Roy McElroy. <laughs> yeah, McElroy. Yeah, I was there for that. I was on 18. Um, but anyway, this isn't a golf show. This is an NBA show. And uh, <laughs> Shane and I are going to talk uh, a little bit of everything, honestly. Um, you brought up, Shane, I'm kind of looking at your Twitter here, made some mental notes. Um, and by the way, if anyone's listening out there, go give Shane a follow. He is at NBA. Fantastic stuff here on Twitter, and uh, really keeps conversations going. Lots of followers, lots of interactions, so go give him a follow, and uh, you can plug it again here at the end of the interview, but you're talking about the best team in the West, and you mentioned to me that ESPN had talked about the who's the best team in the West right now, because if you look at the standings right now, it's uh, not something we would have expected to see. Uh, Sitting at top right now is the Denver Nuggets of all teams. Uh, I knew yeah. they would be good. I didn't expect them to be that good. Followed by the L.A. Clippers, then the Oklahoma City Thunder, then the Golden State Warriors. So what's your thoughts on who's yeah. the best team in the West right now? Well, I think uh, I think part of what ESPN's discussion was today, they, they kind of just like set the Warriors aside because we all expect them to have the talent to be the best, obviously, at the end of the day. So I think the, the conversation is who is the second best, who's the biggest challenger, uh, right now, you know, it, it sounds boring because they're number one in the standings technically, but I think Denver is the second-best team in the West when it comes to quality and competitiveness for the Warriors because they have Paul Millsat back. They have a versatile group that 
is able to put out a lot of different lineups. They have the best bench right now out of all these teams, outside of maybe the Clippers. The Clippers, Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, they have a good bench mob, Pat Beverly when he's healthy. So, I mean, they are a challenger. But I think right now I would say Denver because they have the star talent. They have the offense. They have Paul Millsap as the defensive enforcer, good coaching, and that home, that home court advantage in the altitude. But as I've said uh, earlier on Twitter, I, I do expect, I don't know how you feel about it. I'm, I'm kind of curious about your opinion of this team, but I do expect in May and April when the playoffs start, I think the Thunder will be firing on all cylinders. I think their offense will be marginally better than what it is now. They're like 16th or 15th offensively, but their defense, man, has been top-notch. Without Andre Robertson on the court, he's he had another setback with that Taylor tendon injury. Won't be back for a while. Maybe all-star break, it seems like, for Andre. Um, But yet, they are holding teams to under 101 points per 100 possessions, which that's a level of the Spurs back in 2013-14, like back before this big offensive boom took place. So they are are scary defensively right now. Yeah, they really are. And uh, before the season started – my co-host and I, uh, TR, we both predicted that the Oklahoma City Thunder would be the number two seed in the West. Uh, we like their additions of Schroeder. I like the Nerlens Noel addition uh, just for rim protection yeah. and to give Stephen Adams a little break um, because Adams was playing a lot of minutes. I like the, the spacing now with Melo gone. Uh, the addition of Schroeder is a big deal. No, people don't realize how big of a deal adding Dennis Schroeder was. Yeah. They inked Jeremy Grant for fifteen other teams. Oh, he's maybe more than that. Like he is a legit player. Um, The additions of uh, TLC from uh, Philadelphia. I'm not even going to attempt his name, but uh, yeah, that's that's a a defensive type player. Jeremy Grant gets the new contract that gives him some confidence now, and that second team has really stepped up, and that was what was missing, I think, for years in Oklahoma City was a good second team. Denver is another team that I I went out on a limb and said Denver would end up being a top-four seed in the West this year uh, before the season started. I did. Um, I saw that coming because this Denver team last year was one game away from getting there. They get rid of Wilson Chandler. They bring in Isaiah Thomas, who's going to be a leader and has a lot to prove. Jokic gets the new deal, I believe. Um, he yeah. either signed or they. I don't. Remember, did he sign in the off season? Or was that Nurkic that signed? He, he was. He was. Uh, Jokic was last like year before. Like yeah, uh, okay. during the middle of the season, Jokic was. So okay, I knew he. I knew he had yeah. resigned recently. I just couldn't remember when. And then Millsap yeah. gets another year. Chemistry's so big in the NBA, and people don't realize that the system gets better. They're used to playing in Denver. They're used to playing with that coach now. They don't even have Will Barton right now. Will Barton is an excellent three, and he can play the two or the three when need be. And when he's on the court, he's going to change the way Denver executes. So, to me, Denver right now is the best team in the West until Golden State yeah. can get all their drama behind them and get them on track, because they're going to be the best team in the West. It's it's going to happen. The Clippers have been the surprise to me this season. The Clippers at 16-7, and seven, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, yeah. um, they draft him in the draft. They have Jerome Robinson, Lou Williams, of course, playing well. Montrezl Harrell is a big surprise this season. How do you think the Clippers have been able to 
turn this team that everyone was declaring dead for the most part, uh, <laughs> myself included on that. We were, you know, hey, Lob City's over, so the Clippers have got to rebuild. But here they are, number two in the West right now. How were they able to turn it around? Yeah. It's honestly ridiculous. I'm going to eat so much crow. There's always, whenever you do your projections, and, and like I map out the entire league uh, in terms of wins before the year, I do that around September, and there's always one or two teams that you just look back and you know you're going to regret. You know that you don't feel comfortable putting there. Last year, for me, it was the Pacers. I uh, had them down at 26 wins. Didn't see the Yellow Depot stuff coming, and they come out and win 48, so I was off by 22. This year, Good Lord, it's going to be the Clippers. I had them at 33 wins. Uh, a lot of Clippers fans in my mentions just attacking me, just saying I don't watch them. Hey, I watched half their games last year because I was keeping an eye on the playoff race as it was getting tight down the West and with, with Minnesota and San Antonio, L.A., all those teams. But now, man, like their three-point shooting is so legit, and they're going to they're going to probably win over 48 games if they just keep this going and no one gets hurt. Uh, Tobias Harris, 42% from three. Gallinari, he has not stayed healthy for the last, what, seven years. Uh, always has something that keeps him <laughs> that out for like put- 30 or 40 games. Let's say Gallinari healthy exactly. for the past seven years. That might be pushing it. It may be eight or nine, it feels like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ever since he's in the league, it's always been something. But shooting 46% from three, one of the league leaders right now. Um, and, like, the only player that's not shooting well is Avery Bradley. And we all probably consider him a, an average shooter, so that's going to regress back to the mean a little bit. Right now he's been horrible offensively, but he's just, he's still giving them a defensive identity in the games he's played. Uh, and Montrez Harrell from Louisville, uh, he's and it's it's crazy to say because last year Donovan Mitchell was a revelation, but now Montrez is the best Cardinal right now, and he's he's been he's been awesome. Like off the bench, uh, he he hasn't missed a game. He's been healthy the entire way. Averaging seventeen seven and five, or seventeen seven and two, and he's been just great. And I I would say he's the leader. I don't know how I know a lot of Timberwolves fans, including yourself, probably would say Rose, <laughs> but I would say Montrez for the impact leader for the six man of the year right now. Um, just it's not all about scoring. I think I think he he comes in and plays defense harder than anyone on that team. But yeah, I mean they're they're awesome. I, I think the Clippers right now are the best team in LA. Um, and I grew up a Lakers fan, but I still think the Clippers in a series would have just so many more weapons than just LeBron and the kids. They would have yeah. a lot to throw at to throw at that Lakers team. I think the Clippers are going to be there. I don't think they'll be number two in April. Uh, I would say six, five, six, but I think the Clippers are going to be pretty good. Yeah, you mentioned the six-man talk, and you know, I talked to Scott Ag- Agnes earlier um, about that, uh, another name that people aren't talking about is uh, Bojan Bogdanovic. Uh, he could he's an early candidate yeah. as well for Sixth Man of the Year. We mentioned Harrell, of course, Derrick Rose. Um, a lot of good guys coming off the bench in the league this year. So I don't think you're crazy at all to say Montrez is looking like a Sixth Man of the Year candidate. He looks great so far, and honestly, with that team performing the way they are and his numbers on top of it. I, I see no reason why he shouldn't be considered the front runner right now. Of course, yeah. Rose is putting up crazy numbers, video game like numbers, but it's Rose you know is it's more than forty eight, forty nine percent from three, which is just absurd. Yeah. <laughs> who, who would have thought that after all these years? 
Um, it's the, I know I didn't. As a Wolves fan, I did not see that coming at all. And he has 51 points on Halloween night. Uh, so there it grows. Hey, and I ain't mad about it. You know, you talk about defense stepping up since the, since the Jimmy Butler trade, the Wolves defense has been insane. They come back last night. They were down, uh, 14 at the half to the Houston Rockets and they come back and win that ball game pretty assertively win that ball game. And that defense has really stepped up. Sarge and Covington are just what the doctor ordered up in Minnesota. Apparently they're eight and three now without Jimmy Butler and just as a little personal note to Jimmy Butler, I thought we couldn't win without you. Uh, but you know, <laughs> know. and you you gotta love like you gotta love these trades. I I really do. These are my favorite trades where both teams just start thriving after after it happens. Like like Philly, they they didn't need Covington per se for what they were wanting to do. Like they their offense has been fine. They want to just close games, and they they can live without scoring other teams and giving up more points than what's expected of them because now they have just a lot of offensive weapons uh, and they've been a top five offensive team since the trade, but it's the defense that slipped. And Minnesota was the complete inverse. They needed their defense to step up. Now they're league average defensively for the whole year, which says a lot considering they were 28th, <laughs> you know, just a few weeks ago. So I think Covington's yeah. been awesome, but you got to love Tibbs. Tom Thibodeau playing this guy so many minutes, 38 minutes, 35, 39, 38, 39. Like, he, this is his new Jimmy Butler, and he's going to ride him to the end. <laughs> Don't get me started on Tibbs and his minutes. There's so many players on that bench that need playing time. Josh Okoge. But, anyway, enough about the Wolves. I talk about them enough. Let's bounce over to the East right now since we were talking about the West. Let's talk a little Boston Celtics. They came out of the gate early, struggling. Uh, everyone who wants to write them off a little early, they were expected to be this great team and to be the team that everyone should fear in the East. They're starting to turn it around now. I think everyone's starting to figure yeah. out their role. What did the Celtics need to do, in your opinion, to keep this role going and improve heading down as we get closer to December? Because right now the Celtics are setting number six in the in the East, thirteen and ten. They are on a three game win streak. So what do you think they need to do to improve? Uh, I think it's as simple as figure out the right lineup uh, combinations and get Jalen Brown like less involved offensively when it comes to taking bad shots, but more involved when it comes to getting uh, better shots, having them cut off the ball. I think that. He and Jason Tatum, like Jason Tatum's been good for the most part, but he started off pretty badly. Um, and I think the Vitter's not taking enough good shots. I think Jalen Brown is kind of like stuck in limbo. Like he doesn't know what to do when he's out there because they have so many different weapons and there's just so many different looks that they can go to. But uh, I'm looking here, uh, Boston not shooting particularly well from long two. Uh, they're actually like 19th when it comes to uh, long mid-range shots, and that's Tatum's. And, and kind of a little bit of Kyrie when he goes into Kobe mode. Uh, take fewer of those shots. I mean, they are getting a lot of open threes, which is really good. They're, they're like third in uh, three-point uh, attempt rate. So, like, they're getting good shots, and, and they're just not hitting them. So, I mean, Marcus Smart, obviously, historically one of the worst shooters, has been on fire lately. So, you have to expect that progress. And then once that happens, you have to have Gordon Hayward Kyrie Irving just just come uh, even more lightning out on the court because uh, they don't have a lot of go-to scores that they can just give the ball to and have something great. And Hayward's been good uh, recently, 
he started off not great. He started off slow, but now he had that 30.8 rebound, like eight assist night or something in in Minnesota, I believe. Uh, So he's been back on track. But, yeah, exactly. But I I think Boston's going to be be fine. But, like, Jalen Brown, 25% from three on four attempts a night. Um, they, they they've got to get him easier looks. They got to get him into the paint. Where he that's where Jalen Brown was best in the playoffs, attacking uh, Philadelphia, attacking uh, Milwaukee when they played in the first round. And then uh, Jalen was also pretty good down the stretch in Cleveland when, when they played in these finals. But uh, I'm not going. The reason I'm not concerned about Boston, their record is not going to be what I thought. I don't know what you and your uh, co-host had, but I have them at 59 wins, uh, one off of. Toronto heading into the season. I thought Toronto would be the best team, and they have been. But Boston has the third best point differential in the East, so they might be six in the standings as we can see. But right now they're they're just right behind Toronto and Milwaukee in terms of point differential, higher than Philly, higher than Indy, Charlotte. So when they when they win, they blow out teams. When they win, yeah. when they lose, it looks ugly. So that that's that's the Celtics' problem. But I'm not concerned about Brad Stevens. I've seen a lot of takes like, oh, well, maybe he's not the right guy to coach this offense. Like, okay, it, it's it's December 4th. Yeah. <laughs> let's wait till, let's <laughs> wait and see what this team looks like on March 4th. <laughs> yeah, that's when you really need to start worrying is, is when you get around that time. But uh, uh, do you think, because you hear a lot about this, do you think they need to, um, the Celtics need to move uh, Jalen Brown? There's a lot of talk that they may want to trade him. Uh, they're looking at Washington because Bradley Bill wants out, and there's a lot of discussion going on with Bradley Bill. Do they need to move him, or do you think it's a little overreacting? He'll work himself out of it because he's trying to figure out his new role in this rotation. See, that is that's an interesting thought because um, it normally when I've heard these Jalen Brown discussions, I would say no, just 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 keep it on, uh, just ride the course, let it go out. I mean, he he's gonna be fine. Just keep him, but. Like, Bradley Bill might be the one chip that I would consider. I mean, it, it would be. I mean, I would definitely try to see if I can get Bradley Bill, but at, at what cost? Because it's going to be more than Jalen Brown. Washington, honestly, Bill's their, their best player. And I, I thought that for the last year, ever since Wall got hurt and they were uh, they, they started thriving without him, Bradley Bill's been awesome. I think that Washington would be foolish to, to not get the best possible package. I know Boston can throw a lot at Washington, but I don't think Danny Ainge would. Danny Ainge is really, uh, as we call, like hesitant with that kind of stuff. He he waits until the last possible minute, and if the package isn't good enough, then he's going to reject it. So I don't think it's realistic for them to get Bill because Washington's going to want Jalen Brown and, and a lot of other stuff, right? Some draft picks. I don't know if that's going to be worth it in Danny Ainge's eyes, but I, do they need to? No. Uh, they're going to be good. I think they're going to be in the East Finals regardless. So, I, you know, I, I, I would get Bill if it, if it just took Jalen Brown and draft pick or something, but not if it was like a load of three or four at different assets. Because Bill, as good as he is, he's not Anthony Davis. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, I don't know if I would make the move depending on, of course, and Danny Ainge is easily the smartest guy in terms of front office management that you'll ever see. He wins basically every trade that he's involved in. So that's going to be an interesting thing to look at. Uh, one more situation I want to talk about. I, I could sit here and talk NBA basketball for hours, but I know you're busy and you got things to do. So one more thing 
And it's been kind of a busy busy season so far, and my co-host and I are going to talk about this on the show, but I want to get your opinion. The firing of Fred Hoiberg, should he have been fired oh or was it too soon? Because I predicted the Bulls actually this season, this was probably my call that was way wrong. I thought the Bulls would end up squeaking <laughs> into that eight seed, but so far not so good. So what do you think? Uh, Fred Hoiberg, good move, bad move, your thoughts? Well, I'm not going to kill you for that pick because as long as you thought, like, like it's okay that, to think that the Bulls are going to be uh, the 9 or the 8 spot. I had them at 10, I think. I can't I think 10, but it's okay to think that as long as, like, it went, like, 45 wins. Like, because like, we knew that the East was going to be lower on the back end this year. Um, it's not going to take that many wins. At least we didn't think so. Right now, the 8 seed, uh, I, I'm trying to see where the 8 seed is on pace for. Yeah, about like a 41-win team, Orlando Magic. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the Bulls could have got there. But I do not think Fred Hoiberg deserved to get fired. I don't think he deserved anything that's happened in the last few years. I mean, whenever your best season is the one that comes on the back of Jimmy Butler, uh, Dwayne Wade, and Rondo, like that team was the worst three-point shooting team I can remember assembled around a coach that specifies in – pace and space like that that's Hoiberg's thing he wants to get up down the court he wants to shoot threes he wants to uh get easy cuts to the rim just like a Warriors light offense because I mean he and Steve Kerr are friends I mean they've talked Steve Kerr's stolen a play from Fred Hoiberg called Cyclone like they 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 are uh kind of friends off the court so I really thought that Hoiberg deserved a better roster around him and Gar Foreman and uh John Paxson never gave that to him so it's kind of weird to fire him on December 3rd like they did because if you thought that he wasn't the guy in the first place for the roster, why lead him into the season? You know, I don't I don't really understand that. What did you all think about the firing? Because uh, I, I thought signing Jabari Parker was not conducive to his uh, skill set as a coach. I thought, you know, Zach Levine, as good as he is, plays zero defense, and then you have – uh, Wendell Carter, who's the only good defender on your team except for Chris Dunn, who's hurt. Like it's it's not it hasn't been great and and a good situation for him. So what did you think? Was it time for him to go? No, no. I, I and Laurel Markkinen hasn't even played this year. Um, yeah. To me, that's been an issue. You're missing you know two very key players, and you're going to let a guy go. Yeah, it's early in the season and you're struggling, but. You know, expectations for the Bulls outside of my own weren't that high this year, and I don't understand why they're why they would do that. Hoiberg is a to me he's a good coach. Um, when he was the you know the mayor of Iowa, you know Iowa State, whenever he was there, that yeah. team just overachieved. I mean, you got guys like you know George's Yang and, and guys like that, and you're dominating the Big Twelve in basketball. I mean, that's just that's a statement. And, and Fred Hoiberg, I think, deserved better than that. Uh, we'd welcome him in Minnesota if we could fire Tom Thibodeau. Uh, I would, would welcome him with open arms back to the, the Twin Cities. But I don't think it was time for him to go. He was playing the hand he was dealt. And um, I guess Chicago ownership felt that something needed yeah. to be done. And I think sometimes general managers get rid of coaches because they're going to fire the coach before they fire themselves. That's just what I think. Yeah. And and for the the audacity of uh, Chicago ownership to come out and say Gar Foreman's completely safe, he's not going anywhere as the GM, which is ridiculous because this guy has been make, making poor decisions. The only good decision he's made 
arguably was the one to trade Jimmy Butler, which is a good one because, I mean, Jimmy would have left. We know that. Jimmy would have left in free agency, and they ended up getting Zach Levine, Laurie Markkinen, and Chris Dunn, I believe, as the return package. So, like, that that was a good move. But other than that, I mean, why why did they sign Dwayne Wade in 2016? I, it just made no sense to me. And uh, I guess they sell tickets, which they don't even need to because they're they're always going to sell out the United Center anyway. Um, but Zach Levine, how about this for a stat? Zach Levine, first eight games, shot 38% from three. Like, he was just incandescent from three, and he was dominant. And since then, he is, let me get it up here, 26%. So Zach Levine has fallen off the cliff. And pretty much they're just going to blame Hoiberg for them not being able to win games. I mean, you know, the offense has not been uh, the offense has not been centered around what Hoiberg wants. And the defense, I mean, Lord help them. They are over the last three years the worst defensive team in the league. Last year it was just unbearable to watch, and now you got Jabari yeah. Parker who can't move his feet. It, it's horrible. Yeah, and Jabari's been open about saying, you know, I don't play defense. They don't pay me to play defense. You're <laughs> You got a three guard of uh, Denzel Valentine, who's not—he's um, not going to win any wing competitions this year, unless it's at like Quaker Steak or something <laughs> like that. If, if you know what I mean. But um, yeah, I mean Chicago. I think it was a premature firing. I think they could still sneak into the playoffs, but it, it, they're going to have to turn it around. Markkinen's going to have to come back. Dunn's going to have to come back. So. If they get, yeah. I'm interested uh, to see how they look when all their pieces get back, and because I think if they perform well, we're all going to look at it and say, "Wow, they shouldn't have fired Hoiberg. They just needed all their players back." Yeah, and I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that they're going to be bad this year because if they, I believe they had their draft pick. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure they have yeah. their draft pick. Yeah, um, they can almost just get Zion they Williamson. Do. Yeah, they get Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett. I mean, I wouldn't. I don't know if Zion would be. Uh, a good fit because they already have Laurie and, and Wendell, but still, I mean, you take the best player available and try to use them in the trade ship, I guess. But, like, they're they're going to just talk about draft picks, and that's exactly what Philadelphia did. Philadelphia tried to – I mean, Philadelphia's players and coaches tried to win, but the organization tried to lose, and they, they lucked into Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and all these type of players. So, I mean, Chicago just has to, to wait until, like, 2021, and that's when they'll be relevant again. But um, I, I did want to ask you a question. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Here. Um, who is your defensive player of the year leader right now? Because mm. I, my answer, uh, my answer is pretty cut and dry, and I think people would like it, especially if they're Timberwolves fans. But <laughs> well, I mean, Robert Covington seems to come to mind right now, but uh, yeah, uh, that's kind of where I'm leaning. But of course, I'll be honest; I haven't got to watch as many. Um, uh, games this season. I just had a son uh, last month, so oh, I've been uh, I've been a little busy. Yeah, uh, he was born on Halloween night when Derrick Rose had 51, so it was a good oh, night for me. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, I had a very good night. But you didn't um, name him Derrick, did you? No, 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 no. I didn't name him Derrick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> too many bad memories with Derrick Williams to do that. But um, oh, I think that. I think Robert Covington's got to be at least in the conversation. I think Mark Gasol's played well this season too. Like you can't discount what he's done uh, defensively. The Grizzlies are a defensive juggernaut as they're always been. So you could pretty much take Conley or you could take Gasol and throw them in there. But right now, the hot pick is Covington because he has played fantastic yeah, I agree. for the Wolves. I think I would go one Covington to um, I would say two 
Paul George, he has not missed it. I don't think he's missed. He might have missed one game. Like, I don't think he has, though. Uh, but Paul George has been guarding the opposing best player on the court and just absolutely just dominating. And they, they destroyed Golden State by, like, 25 or, 20, or 28 uh, in, in Oracle Arena, like, a couple weeks ago. And I, I think that he's been awesome. He's, he's reverting back to 2016 Paul George, 2015, where he was just, like, after the injury, where it was really good defensively. Um, for Indiana, I think that uh, Marc Gasol will probably be third. The thing about Gasol and the Grizzlies, I don't know how much Memphis you all got to watch, but, like, their, their defense at the beginning of the year was just forcing, like, turnovers on, like, 25% of opponents' possessions, which is oh, yeah. an NBA record. And, and like, that's kind of died down. Now they're having to rely on Jaron Jackson a lot more uh, to play straight-up defense in the paint and Mark Gasol to play good pick-and-roll defense. And Gasol's age is going to show at some point, maybe March, maybe maybe February. But right now he's been great. Um, the, their record is kind of dying down. They're 13-9. They start off, like, 12-5. So kind of on a little slow streak here. But, uh yeah, I love what the Grizzlies are doing. They're going against the grain. They're playing slow. They are just forcing teams to grind it out. Uh, it's been great because their roster is not how it was when Lionel Hollins and Dave Yeager were there. It's a lot different, and yet they're yeah. still playing slow. So, it's great. Yeah, I, I think it's just the mentality they've built down there. And uh, once they add Javon Carter to the mix, if they ever let him get in there, if Shelvin Max uh, – dies off a little bit. Of course, I'm a little bit of a homer for Javon Carter. I'm not going to lie. But uh, I think he's going to be another player that just fits that mold down there in Memphis. Memphis is a fun team. I've got to watch a few games uh, and talk to Rob Fisher last week, actually, about Memphis. And uh, we talked a lot about them and what they're doing. But, you know, it's it's going to be a fun rest of the year. And I've really enjoyed what – I've got to see so far and I've enjoyed this conversation with you, Shane. I really have. And I really appreciate you coming on and we took more time oh, than sure. what we said we would, but that, you know, Hey, I enjoyed <laughs> it. I had a good time. So I hope we can get you back on and we'll talk a little more ball soon. Oh yeah, man. I'll be happy to come on anytime. And, uh, if I start, I'm going to start up like a little show I'm doing on Periscope and, uh, I'll, I'll keep you guys on guest list here. I appreciate it. Anytime. And uh, we thank you again for coming on. Why don't you let our listeners know where they can find you at, read your articles and things like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at YoungNBA. Um, also post some Instagram stuff, maybe like breakdown videos or stuff that I find interesting at ShaneYoung24. On Instagram, if you want to follow me there. And, uh, like, I, I haven't been writing for B-Law Breakdown as much because we've been kind of, like, transitioning for edit- from uh, different editors. So, my stuff will be on there soon, though, bballbreakdown.com, which goes to Clutch Points because that's where we're associated with. But uh, you can, on my profile on Twitter, you can just go to my Medium page, and that's where I just post my uh, personal stuff I've been writing. I wrote about the Raptors last week, and uh, coming soon it's going to be on Kevin Durant. going to write about his start to the season. So uh, definitely look out for that if you want to. Well, we can't wait to check that out again. And thank you, Shane, again one more time uh, for jumping on with us, and we hope to have you back real soon man. Have a good one. You too. And that was my talk with Shane Young from B-Ball Breakdown in the Ed Bogus segment of the week brought to you by Sheets MTO Gas Station Food. So that's, that's been that cool. for the week. Oh, boy. 
Well, what do you think, Tim? A lot of insights there. I, I feel like uh, I feel like I just had Thanksgiving dinner. Boy, that was a lot to to consume there. Covered a lot it of really ground. Was. There. A lot of good, a lot of good stuff there. And uh, uh, Shane the Younger, we're going to call him. And when he gets when he gets older, <laughs> then we can call him Shane the Elder. And uh, he's a pretty smart guy. I, I didn't I didn't hear much there that I disagreed with. Uh, yeah, smart guy knows kinda, the stuff. Kind of seemed to share our take on most things there. So that, that yeah, that, that was pretty good. No, no argument yeah, from me there. Smart guy knows his stuff, and uh, we hope Shane come back soon. He even got that nice southern twang that you get. Yeah, from I was going to say as soon as he started talking, I, it almost world. made me feel at home because I'm so used to talking to you Virginian types. <laughs> very soon, very soon you will feel at home, my friend. But you know what? It has been a minute. And I want to give a special shout-out to Nick Hoff for this one. It's time for Bush League. Bush League. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Bush League. It's back by popular demand. Or unpopular, depending. It's my show, so I'll do what I want. But, uh... Our first Bush League nominee, Tim, I sent it to you, Jordan Mickey from the Euro League. Uh, in case no Good one has Lord. seen this, I have, I have shared all of these clips on the Wide Men Can't Jump Twitter. Jordan Mickey scores two points in the Euro League with his head. Literally. <laughs> Literally. No joke. He's standing, standing wide open, calls for the ball. The ball, he thinks the point guard's going to shoot, so he turns his head for the rebound, and the ball hits him in the head, bounces off of his head, up into the back of the glass, and into the basket for two points. I mean, does that that mean that that man's head is, in fact, square? (laughs) It would seem so, but one thing... Or on an angle that that you got that kind of... uh, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking you could take... I, you could strategically place a man under the basket, throw basketballs at his head all day, and not, and not have that. one hit his head and go in. Yeah, it was almost like it was perfectly set up, but we all know that it was by chance. So at the end of the day, you know what it is? That's Bush. Bush League. You hear me? Bush League. Yes, it is. That's Bush League. Our second Bush League for the week. Tim, I sent this to you, but I don't think you've seen it yet. Nikola Jokic. Against the Toronto Raptors in Toronto, the Denver Nuggets are up late, and Jokic catches the ball, and this one's actually not on him. He's This is not on him. He catches the ball, is expecting to get fouled. When the guys reach for him, he just throws the ball up, you know, just tosses it up in the air. The shot goes in with one of the most ridiculous circus shots you ever want to see, <laughs> and the refs oh, don't count God. it. You just see it. I'm watching. I saw the shot. Yeah. It's quite ridiculous. Yeah, it goes in. Why didn't in. they count it? it that, that's what I'm asking. <laughs> they didn't count the shot. It, it clearly could have been. It, that had to be continuation. Like, it had to be. Yeah, the rest, I was say, they're, they're trying to say he was fouled before he was. I suppose. May, may, I maybe how. the referee was. The, the, the play wasn't Bush League. Perhaps it was the referee no, that was Bush League. No, it was League not there. the play. The play was not Bush League. It's 100% the refs. The refs, you know no, what I'm you are? You not. I mean, that is Bush League. That's very there much Bush League. There you go. It is. 
And finally, ladies and gentlemen, I shared this stat line on the Facebook page. By the way, all these videos and stat lines you can see, they're marked under Bush League on the Twitter page. And uh, listen to this stat line, Tim. November 30th, at home against Denver, five points, five rebounds, one assist. December 2nd, at San Antonio, four points, one rebound, one assist. At Dallas, December 4th, two points, one rebound, no assists, three straight losses. Who do those points belong to? Who does that stat line belong to? In the uh, hmm. in the uh, YMCA league. <laughs> no, Tim, it is not you in, in the Moose Invitational Tournament. It is Zach Collins, ladies and gentlemen. Zach Collins returning oh, back to Zach, the list. The great, the great Collins. Zach Collins. The hero that Tom Robinson fans. <laughs> Zach Collins, ladies and gentlemen, he's back. And you know, Zach Collins, a new year, but you're still. That's Bush League. Ah. There you go. This Zach, has been Bush Zach League. Zach Collins, could, uh, he could be the leading scorer in the Canadian MIT. <laughs> he might be able to, but that's I'll been see, Bush League. That's the Moose Invitational. We hope you guys enjoyed Bush League on this episode. They're all winners as far as I'm concerned. We actually we don't have, have a, a we don't winner. have a consensus for for like, you know, king of the bush league? Yeah, we don't have one. Uh we've uh, never had one. We've always just kind of nominated three plays and They've been the Bush oh, League right. Okay, well, there you go. So you nominated them. So that means to me there needs to be a winner somehow. Well, okay, we'll work on that. You and I will talk about that. We'll work well, on that. Enough. So we could have Bush League Tournament of Champions coming up soon. So look out for that. <laughs> uh, the fucking 64. <laughs> We're going to narrow it down from the field that includes Zach Collins and Zach Collins and Zach Collins. We got 59 attempted free throws by Markel Fultz and five more plays for the 64. <laughs> well, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, on a serious note, if anybody knows anything about drama this season in the NBA, it's the Washington Wizards. They've been surrounded by it since. Since the season began, show on, they got a show on on the E channel. I think they could easily have one. They could, they could call it the Total Wizards, uh, definitely there. But we'll just stick with what's going. Boy, we're on fire tonight, man. These bad jokes. You're no <laughs> kidding. Yeah, uh, I was able to sit down and talk with Dave Johnson, the radio play-by-play host of the Washington Wizards. Dave knows his stuff. Follows the team. Was on the road with them on an off day yesterday, and I was able to speak with him for a few minutes. So we're going to go to my conversation with Dave Johnson, one of the voices of the Washington Wizards. Well, joining me right now is Wizards play-by-play man Dave Johnson. Dave, thanks for jumping on with us again on Why Men Can't Jump. Always appreciate it uh, as we continue through what is a busy stretch as we're playing uh, 9 of 15 games in December on the road. So we're in New York, now it's on to Atlanta, and, uh, well, I I get lost where we're going next. But uh, there's that old cliche about one game at a time. 
Yeah, you walk out and you have to look at the center court to remember what city you're in. So I understand that, but doing a great it, job as always. Looks like that. Yeah, doing a great job as always. Always try to watch the Wizards feed on League Pass and and hear you call the game. So you're doing a great job. And the Washington Wizards right now are going through uh, quite a bit of turmoil in terms of uh, drama within the backcourt, uh, if we can say that, uh, or excuse me, in the front court. Um, no. I got it wrong. It's backcourt. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's been a long day. Um, but John Wall, Bradley Beal, there's been a lot of talk about Bradley Beal wanting to be off the Wizards team. Uh, this season, Beal has been playing pretty well. He's averaging almost 22 points a game, four rebounds, four assists. So he's having a pretty good year. But apparently he said seven years uh, seems like too long for him. What's uh, what's going on with Bradley Beal? Well, he didn't say that. So uh, there, what's going on with Bradley Beal? He scored 27 points on Monday night in, in a uh, in a win over the New York Knicks. And uh, as as the story was reported uh, by somebody, and I forget where where it came out, but his agent also made it clear he didn't say that. So again, none of these stories that are popping up, and you know, if, if people have a perception that there's there's drama or uh, no, we're we're going from New York to Atlanta and and trying to get better as a basketball team and and trying to uh, win games, and and we're off to uh, uh, a start that that they're not pleased with. And when when that happens, then you're gonna you're gonna hear you know lots of stuff fly around, and that happens with all teams. And we're not the only team in in a position where it's it's not the start that they wanted. But it's you know last check, the, the season goes until April, so they're not going to count you where you are in, on December fourth or fifth or whatever day today is. Uh, it's about what is going forward. So uh, the real situation with this team is, is how it's trying to find, okay, Dwight Howard is not going to be um, a, a short-term solution. He is out because of a, of a, of a uh, aggravated gluteal strain that required back surgery. Uh, is there, there's not going to be an update for another two months on that. So, okay, the, this, this great defensive presence and rim protector that, that was supposed to help you rebound and get it and go and play fast pace. It's not going to be part of the plan. So how do you adjust? And that's what you know the team is 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 finding. It's it's changing combinations. We we just had Marquise Morris now coming off the bench playing some of his best basketball since he's been with the Wizards. So we're using that combination. Thomas Sadoransky now inserted in the starting lineup. You know that's that's the dynamic that is that is going on right now. This is a team that didn't start the the season with a lineup they've expected to start. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I think it didn't start as well as it hoped to start. But last 13 games, it's put together an eight and five record, um, and, and is hoping to to build some wins through what's, as I just mentioned, a a month of December that is not favorable in terms of schedule with nine of 15 on the road. Yeah, and that's a tough stretch for anyone. And so Dwight Howard being out with the injury. Uh, just want to clarify with you, how long is it looking like Howard's going to be off the off the court with this injury? Well, I mean, again, they did, what they said was when his surgery was last Friday, so, and, and so they said there'd be an update in two months. So last Friday would have been the end of November. Um, so, I mean, I guess then it, we're looking at the end of January, any any update on, on his situation. Does that mean he, he'll be able to play in February, or is it March? I, I, again, I think it's just it's one of those things that when when any kind kind of situation where you're talking about okay there's going to be an update in 2 to 3 months you really at this and when you're in the depth of a season it might 
might as well be in two or three years because you've got so many games to, to focus on and and it's not like you can say all right well we're just going to wait until he comes back because it's it's not uh within the next week when there's oh by the way five games you have to take care of so you know he made a difference when he was out there there's no question uh and and he put up the numbers uh, the kind of numbers that that uh, i think they were they were hoping we were going to put up and there was every belief that uh, uh it was only going to get better the the only concerning thing i witnessed this firsthand is is he was even having trouble sitting down and um he was in a lot of pain and 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 that's finally uh, obviously wanted to avoid surgery for the very reason uh, of having to miss when you suddenly have back surgery which is what it was on one of his discs on his back, when you have that, you know, you, now you're going to talk about a significant recovery time, not just, you know, he'll one week. Um, so we wanted to, you know, you wanted to be able to treat the situation without surgery if possible. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And um, so now it's, it's a, it's a situation where uh, you move on and, and it's an opportunity for a Thomas Bryant, who is, who is a young guy who, who is, is developing and shown some flashes, even in its time with the Lakers and, and now with us, he's he, look. He's he's young. He's raw. He's going to make mistakes, but he's you know he's going to do what we're seeing him do. Be able to go out on the elbow, set the screen, and then turn around and, and have the athleticism to get the rebound if the guy he set the screen for missed the shot. Um, and he can provide the energy. Now again, in, in today's NBA, and that's why with Marquis Morris, people will, will say, "Well, he's coming off the bench. Is that a problem?" No, no. He embraces that because at the end of the day, it's not it's not whether you're starting or coming off the bench, or, or what it is, it's how many minutes you're playing and where you're playing those minutes. Um, and, and so that's what I think right now is the, is the, the big storyline for the Wizards. This is a team that's, that's uh, had a couple of injury blows and decided, all right, we've got to figure out the, what, what is the best combination uh, going forward of players on the court. And, and, you know, you would like to have that combination figured out on opening night, but that, that wasn't the case. But, as I said, there you know, there's some – um, signs it's going in the right direction, and but also in recent games, also signs there's still work to be done. So it's a, uh, it's it's an exciting time from that standpoint. Yeah, and the Wizards, uh, if you read online, it's you would think they were the worst team in the East with the way people talk about them on social media sites, Twitter, and some of the blog sites. But I'm looking at the record, ten and fourteen, uh, much improved as you said after the they had a slow start, but much improved. They're 10 and 14, ninth in the East right now. And again, it's just December. Things could turn around very easily, but only a game and a half back of Orlando and still a long season to go. So I, I think people are kind of overreacting to Washington's early struggles. I mean, they were the eighth seed last year, made some moves. Uh, they uh, traded Gortat, brought in Austin Rivers. But one position they did uh, kind of fortify, they brought in Jeff Green. Are they wanting to play Jeff Green more at the three? Or the four. I know there's kind of a log jam at three with Ubre and Porter. So, are they moving him more to the four position to get more minutes out of him? Well, I, it's more just. Uh, um, it, it depends on the on the on the game and, and the situation, and that's. And what I mean by that is, look, we are in the age of positionless basketball. Thomas Sadoransky is starting right now. But what did he start at last year? He started at point guard. He's starting now at small forward. Um, so it, the basketball that, that you probably grew up with, I grew up with, where, you, you know, we, we called positions one, two, three, four, and five, really just does not exist anymore. Um, 
you know, so it depends on, on if that, the, my, my point is, it's not like they're saying, well, let's try to move him to the three. He's it, it, not being moved anywhere. You're being moved on the court to that particular situation um, and how you can help the team in that particular game. And it is that specified. It depends on, you know, is the other team going small? Are we going small? Um, you know, does, does Jeff Green still play some at, 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 the, at the center, even though it's, again, I'm talking positionless, but I think about some of the lineups we had on the court last night. You would, you, would, you know, say, well, who is the, uh, the center? You have Jeff Green, uh, Marquise Morris, and, and Telly Oubre out there. Who's the center? Uh, it, it's, just, it's just a different era in basketball where you really don't, get caught up in the, in the names and the numbers because they almost don't exist anymore because it's, it's more positionless basketball. We talk about even playing John off the ball uh, more to free him up or to free others up. So it is, it has changed so dramatically from, you know, even when I started this 20 some years ago, back then we, there was, you know, that guy's the center, that guy's the post player. We're going to feed in the post to him and we're going to work it downtown. I mean, or, or inside, and now it's about, you know, uh, three-point shots. The, the corner three is the closest three to the basket, and that's become the new layup in the NBA. So, uh, again, I grew up in an era where the three-point shot was a desperation shot at the end of the shot clock. Now it's, it's part of the offense, and, and you need it to be because, you know, if, if you're shooting twos and the other shoot, team is shooting threes, no matter how well you're shooting, you're going to lose. Yeah, the three-point shot has been uh, – it's almost an evolution. You can watch the game evolve. But one guy that the Wizards are paying a lot of money to, and I'm looking at his stat line, 11, almost 12 points a game, five-and-a-half rebounds, Otto Porter Jr., he's got the big contract. Of course, you, you hear these, these names all the time. Some people want him to be traded. Some people are calling for Bill. I don't know why they want all these trades to happen, but Otto Porter – how is he fitting into this rotation? Is it business as usual for him, or has he kind of had some, some struggles out of the gate here? He's in now his fifth year, or it might be even his sixth, actually it's his sixth year in the NBA. So how's he fitting into this Wizards rotation? Well, I mean, uh, I think, you know, look, first of all, the reason you're hearing, you know, trade talk and speculation is because the team is 10 and 14. And <laughs> if it was 14 and 10, nobody would be talking about uh, that type of stuff. But, um uh, you know, he's part of uh, – he had a very good game last night, and he's had some very good games, but he's been inconsistent. But he being inconsistent is, is with, with the definition of the way the team has been uh, this season, so it's not to, not to put it all on him. He's, a, he, he's in a type of player where, where he's not – he doesn't start with the ball. So he's he, – he, we need to get him more involved in the offense, and that's, that's a two-pronged – uh, approach. It's part responsibility of of us uh, as the Wizards, as other players, getting him more involved in the offense. And then it's about him being more aggressive. And you know, last night was a good example. He was six of nine, fifteen points in the in the game against uh, the New York Knicks. Uh, you know, that's that's efficient efficient basketball. And and he was looking for his shot. Uh, and and he was you know he's good. He plays. He's a smart player. He's going to play the right way. He's going to make the right cuts. So it is a combination about him of, of him being more aggressive, but also of, of you know the Wizards finding him. And um, again, it gets back to 
generally this team needs better ball movement, and that's something you know they they've talked about is is when they're at their best, it's and when they're at the best, it's when it's in transition. But obviously, when it's not in transition, uh, then that it's got to be one, two, three, four, five passes, uh, and, and make the other defense work. And, and when they do that, uh, they've shown they can be a, a very good team. When the ball sticks, uh, they're not as good. And, and uh, when the ball sticks, then an auto Porter doesn't get involved because when the ball's not moving around. There's not multiple touches. He's not getting open shots. It's like John talking about the other night. He needs to be more aggressive from the start because then that'll force defenses to be more uh, cognizant of him, and that'll force other open shots. So it's, you know, basketball is a team sport, and and an individual's production. It's not about him not trying or not um, having the right mindset. It's about you know making it fit. Last night against the Knicks was a great example of how it should work for the Wizards with 30 assists as a team. John Wall at 18 points and, and 15 assists. You know, again, if you, we're not going to win the rest of the games, and they're not always going to be perfect games. You credit the other team when they play better defense. But this team is, is shown it's, it, it's capable, whether it's the winner over the Rockets or you can go right down the list. But it's, it's, uh, it's now about being consistent. And that's, you know, I think there's probably 25 other teams that are saying the same thing right now is, is they're searching for some consistency and, in some cases, some identity. And as Bradley Beal said on a radio postgame show the other night, you know they, they need to get back to, to playing with a like they did against Brooklyn. Quite frankly, more of a uh, an edge and a nastiness on defense. That's not dirty, just more of a more of an edge. And I think we've seen better defensive performances out of this team. Now you just have to to do it on on a consistent basis. And if they can, they certainly have the talent and the depth, even without Dwight Howard, to be better than an eight seed uh, in the Eastern Conference. A big part of the storyline of being. At eight seed in the Eastern Conference last year, they missed their top player, John Wall, forty-one games. That's a big blow. That's half the season. Um, you know he is healthy, uh, and, and uh, you know I think you know it, it's a it's a big blow not to have Dwight Howard because he was very much in the plans of this team going forward. But they have the talent capable of making a difference. Now, until they get to a position uh, where <laughs> all is right and they're uh, you know competing for the Eastern Conference. There's going to be talk about trade this guy, trade that guy, move this guy, move that guy, fire the radio announcer. It, 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 it's, it's, I've been doing this 25 years. This is what happens when, when you're not meeting expectations. And, look, the team is not at 10 and 14. It, 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 and that's, not, that's what I'm saying. I'm not sugarcoating anything here. The team has not met expectations. The team has not played as well as it is capable of and should have. The team is not happy with being 10 and 14. But they are happier of being eight and five over the last thirteen games, um, and now okay, you, you put a couple of games together, uh, Brooklyn and New York that, that showed well. Forget who you're playing; it's about how you're playing. You played well in those games. You, uh, now tomorrow against Atlanta on Wednesday night against Atlanta, that's a great opportunity. Uh, you need to show up and, and show that consistency and quality that's necessary. Yeah, I agree. And don't fall, don't fire the radio announcer. That's never fun. We don't like that. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but um, just a couple more questions here, and I'll let you go. I know you're busy and you're tired and you want to rest up and got a long schedule ahead of you. But one thing I want to ask is Austin Rivers, how's he looking coming in off the bench uh, for the Wizards this season and after the trade for with Gore taught to, to the Clippers? There's, a, you know, there's another example. Like he, he'll tell you straight out, he's not played his basketball. Um, 
Porter has not played his basketball also. I mean, again, that's not to say all, all's fine, but there's there's nothing wrong with these players. They're just admitting, okay, got to work this out. We've got to figure this out. But he'll tell you straight out, he's not having the, the kind of season he wants to have. Um, but, you know, he, we know his quality and we see it out there. Uh, and, and you know, it's one of those things where I have every confidence in a player like Austin Rivers. Give it time. It, it's going to – it's going to work. And, and it's, you know, Kelly Oubre will tell you, look, he, he shot 34% beyond the arc um, last season. Uh, this season had, had been shooting 28%. Um, and then last night against the New York Knicks, certainly an encouraging sign we went five of six beyond the arc. And, you know, he'll be the first to tell you, and he told us in our post game that, you know, he is just putting in so much extra work to try to get it right because it hasn't been right. And that's also been a big part of our, uh, season both three-point defense and three-point offense uh, in terms of why the Wizards are, are 10 and 14. So what what you have here on, on December 4th is, is a team that is not a complete story. Uh, there's some positive signs, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's positive. Uh, I'm taking positive from a negative. You know, you're in this position, even though an Austin Rivers tells you, I haven't played my best basketball yet. I've got to be better. Um, when there's still room to grow, that's a good thing. Uh, when you feel like, oh, wow, we're, we're, we're getting all we can out of these players and we're 10 and 14, that's not a good thing. That doesn't uh, bode well for the future. But, uh, again, this, this team is, is, um, would have liked to have had a better start. It would have quieted noise on the outside. It didn't happen. Now it's, it's about, you know, getting the right rotations, getting the right energy from the start of games. Again, the Wizards this season, only six times out of 23 games had to, had to lead at the end of the first quarter. So that means in most of the games, 17 of 23 of my math is correct, they've been coming from behind, chasing games. And that takes a lot of energy. That has to change. You're not going to have the lead at the end of the first quarter every time. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, Actually, it's out of 24 games. So 18 times they've trailed after one quarter of play. Um, they, they, and that's part of the reason why you bring a Thomas Sadoransky in from the start of a game, because you know he's going to play with the energy and, and that's necessary and help set the tone. And, and the Wizards have been bad at, at setting the tone in games. So that's, that's something they need to do uh, to be better at going forward so they're not always coming back from 10-point deficits. Yeah, you can't you can't fall behind three fourths of the time and trying to fight back. That's a that's a tough hill to climb. Uh, last question for you, Dave, and I'll let you go. Troy Brown Jr. drafted in the first round, fifteenth pick, hasn't saw a lot of minutes yet. Only touched the court a few times. Looks like uh, eleven games, only averaging six minutes a game. When do you think we'll see more of him uh, for the Wizards? Uh, do you think it'll be this season, or do you think he's just going to be one of those guys that uh, comes in garbage time? and plays, or do the Wizards want to eventually work him into the rotation? Well, I mean, uh, I, I think it's it's going to be up to, you know, what he continues to do. And uh, not, and he's not doing anything wrong. It's just that he's a rookie. This is a league where, um, you know, as a rookie, generally it's hard to, to, to crack the rotation, especially on, on a lineup like the Wizards. It's just there's only, you know, one ball and so many minutes to go around, and you know, right now, um, you know, there just there just isn't room for him in a, in a regular spot in the rotation. You know, K- 
can that change? There's so many variables still left to, to play out. And, um, you know, I don't even want to mention it, but dare I say it, injuries become involved, et cetera. But the fact, you know, that, that they've got him on the uh, the roster now is, is, is a sign of the confidence. They believe that, you know, having him at the, the NBA level will, will help him uh, develop, but they also have now, and it's, it's a wonderful part of the NBA where they have the G League, uh, and, and we've got our own G League team in Washington, so we can, we can uh, you know, even assign players from time to time that go back and forth. I mean, and there's another player down there, Devin Robinson, who, who comes up and one day I think is going to be part of the, the NBA. But I think this is a new NBA where you're going to see more and more players because most players are playing, it seems, only one year of college. You know, the G League option is going to be important for a lot of players. But in Troy Brown's case, he's part of – of the, of the regular roster. And, and I think that's, uh, you know, an important part of his development and, you know, we'll, we'll see where he plays out. There's, there's just not enough time in a game to get everybody um, involved. You know, Jason Smith is a guy that, you know, is a veteran who probably, you know, fans are always talking about should get more playing time because of what he brings. And you know, there just isn't room in some games, but yet we, when we see him come in, we see what he can add. So um, it, it's, it's, you know, competition and, and practice and uh, is, is all that stuff is, it sounds cliche, but it's real and, and they live it every day. And, and, you know, the coach will make adjustments to uh, his lineup based on what team players are doing, you know, in practice or, or in games. And, and again, Thomas Sadoransky now in the starting lineup, he earned that position. Uh, and that's not necessarily a slight against anybody else. It's, it's a, it's a credit to him. And, and, and you still need, Everyone, which is a great scenario, is okay. Thomas Sadoransky gets a starting lineup, but that doesn't have Kelly Oubre's play drop off. He's still one of our best perimeter defenders, and, and a couple of games after um, being used now as a bench player, he has 21 points on eight of 11 shooting. So, you know, it's it's part of the evolution of the team throughout the course of a season, and and especially with the Wizards, where. Again, losing a, a Dwight Howard and not having him from the start, you know, put this team in a, in a position where, all right, we've got to come up with some plans B or plan C because plan A with Howard in the middle is not not, not an option. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time, Dave, and your insight, and always good to talk with you about the Wizards. And it's good to put all those ridiculous rumors to rest about the team, and especially about Scott Brooks and Bradley Beal and – John Wall, and it's good to put those rumors to rest now. So if you're listening out there, stop tweeting us about the Wizards drama. There is none. Let the, let the Wizards be the Wizards. And uh, we appreciate your time, and we hope we can have you back real soon. Be safe on the road, and we'll be listening. I appreciate it. always appreciate folks checking in. You can tweet me at Dave J Sports. All right, will do. Thanks again, Dave. All the best. You too. And that was my conversation with Dave Johnson from the Washington Wizards, the play-by-play man on the radio there. And I wanted to give a quick apology to our buddy Lou who called in during the conversation. I was going to click over and tell him uh, what was going on and accidentally hung up. So, Lou, if you're listening, my apologies. My friend did not mean to do that. Complete accident. And uh, we'll get you next time. Promise. 
So, uh, but that was my conversation with Dave Johnson. Tim, any insights you want to add uh, to Dave, what he had to say about the Wizards? So, no drama in Washington. Well, again, he's with the team. So, he's closer to the organization I, I than agree. I am. He, but, but I didn't really, and and I don't know how you've, I didn't hear any mention of, like, maybe the players aren't on the drama end, but what what about the team coming up and saying, you know, pretty much everybody was available. Again, that's uh, I'm just going by what Dave had to say. Right. So. I, I, I mean, I, I like his positiveness and, you know, he does, he is with the team what did he say, 25 years? Did yeah, he, a long did time. I get that right? So he's been long with the time. team for a long time. Um, and he did admit that maybe they weren't uh, I thought maybe he was a but being close to the team too, maybe his expectations for the team were maybe a little higher than mine are. But he did say, you know, that they hadn't played well. And other than that, that was the only thing I thought was interesting. But then he didn't really address. And there is a difference between the players and the uh, management. Because uh, well, I, I mean, I was under the impression if management says everybody's available, I don't know how that can't create some some issues. Well, Bradley Beal came out and said that reports he wanted to be traded are nonsense. So there's that. And that could well be 100% true. But that still doesn't account for management saying, well, yeah, well, he may not want to be traded, but everybody's available to be traded. Management has also said that they do not want to move Otto Porter. The Lakers have apparently offered Lonzo Ball to, to the Wizards for John Wall. Don't know if they're interested in that. So it, there's a lot of reports going around right now on the Wizards that just aren't true, and that's what I'm getting I would from have Dave. To say, getting... Yeah, without knowing, I mean, he's a, I mean, infinitely closer to the team than probably anybody else except for the guys who actually play for the team. So yeah. if he doesn't know, nobody does. So I will give him the benefit of the doubt. I just thought it was interesting because, boy, from the stories you read, you'd swear to God that that place is a, yeah you know, a complete and total disaster and rats jumping off the ship kind of thing, and it, he's saying otherwise. So perhaps perhaps we need some better reporting, NBA-type reporter types. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, when I want a story, I go to the source. So I went to the source, and this is a guy that works for the organization time, time now. Time will tell. I see tonight that they are they were holding on. They uh, yeah, got six point they, lead over uh, the Hawks. Or 14, yeah, they're beating the now. Hawks. Looks like they're going so to roll on, hold on that so one. They're actually all know on a two-game win streak. Nothing cures drama faster than winning. That's true. And with um, everybody loves to win. So And with the rotation being fixed, uh, who knows? It could be happening. I mean, they've got they've got a lot of work to do, and they are they are in a what the in the southeast are they? They are in a weaker division, so it wouldn't take much for them to be. No, not at all. No, I mean, they're, I think they're what two? I think they're two games off the lead in their division. So yeah, in their division, and they're only. To... Well, here, here's an interesting little fact. I, I tweeted this out the other day. Right now, I'm looking at the standings. In the East, Toronto leads, and the closest team to them within six game within six games is the Boston Celtics. They are sixth in the East this season, okay? Now, scroll over to the West. Right now, the West is led by the Denver Nuggets. The closest team within six games of them is the San Antonio Spurs, 
who are 14th in the West. There are 14 teams within six games of the lead in the West. So think about that. Well, well like I said, Literally. if you look at the Southeast, I mean, the, the Wizards are third in the Southeast. Yeah. Um, the team that's leading the Southeast isn't even 500. The Magic are 12 and 13. Go. Yeah, the Magic so, are 12 and 13. The Magic, I believe, lost tonight in overtime as well. They did. They lost so, at I mean, home they, to Denver. The, the Wizards win tonight, and they are half a game off the yeah, lead. Yeah, it looks like they might. So not not, you know. Yeah, I mean it's and and again as we as we've said before and Thomas said before on this show when I asked him, it's only December. It is. Uh, nothing it's is very early. stone yet. Take, Not take a thing. another at least another month, another six weeks yet before uh, any of these trends that are showing so far aren't trends anymore, and they're actually bad and or good or or whatever we're talking about. So very true. Got the sir. Wizards some slack. Uh, they. Like I said, they they win three or four games and they're they're two games up in on on the division. So who yep, knows? That's right. But right now, we're gonna go to our last conversation of the evening. And if you're listening live to the show, we thank you. This interview will take us into overtime. And this is my talk with the athletic uh reporter for the Indiana Pacers, Scott Agnes. And we're talking about all things Pacers, Tom and I's team that we thought Early on, Tom had him as the one seed. I had him, uh, I believe, as high as two. So we're going to talk to Scott, and I actually let him know that Tom had him winning the East this year, and uh, let's see what Scott has to say with that. So our talk with Scott Agnes, we're talking Indiana Pacers, and on the other side, Tim and I are going to close up shop, and we'll be back right after this. Joining me now is Scott Agnes from The Athletic and from the Pacers podcast. We're going to talk a little Indiana hoops right now. Scott, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Good to talk with you. Yeah, it's, it's been a little while. Last time we spoke, you were at a, uh, a pro-am basketball event. We talked a little Pacers and how we thought they would look this season. But uh, right now, sitting at the five position, 13 and 10, um, on the season so far, uh, kind of where we predicted them, although they've lost two in a row. Um, what have you seen different from the Pacers team this year from the Pacers team last year? I think the biggest thing is guys are just more comfortable within their role, and uh, specifically Demonis Sabonis, we're seeing that. Um, I think Corey Joseph all the, off the bench and what he's able to provide at that point guard spot especially when it comes to the defensive end of the floor with Corey, because there'll be many times he'll finish games at that point guard spot. And then I also think we're seeing Nate McMillan try and do different things with this unit. And by that, I mean, several times we're seeing two point guard sets. Sometimes we're seeing two center sets and occasionally we're seeing uh, two point guards, two centers and a, a wing in different lineups. So Nate McMillan uh, hasn't been one that's just been strict uh, in his formations, in his rotations. He's trying different things. Um, and obviously the big crutch right now for this Pacers team is that their star, Victor Oladipo, has missed more time now this season than he did all of last year in his first year with the team. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that. What's uh, Victor Oladipo's status as we move forward here with the Pacers this season? Yeah, so 
So he's currently out indefinitely. We just got back from a four-game road trip out west, and uh, the team made an organizational decision after seeing him go through a four-on-four situation with end-of-bench guys and a couple of video guys in Los Angeles. He went through four-on-four work after shoot-around. Just didn't feel great about it. Wasn't feeling any better. Wasn't feeling any worse, but no progress hadn't been made um, after he's been dealing with this um, right knee soreness for about three weeks now. It's first uh, started up um, several weeks ago down in Miami. That's when they first ruled him as questionable. And it's also an injury that he's faced the last several years. It actually cost him four games last year. But right now, it's cost him to miss eight games. They're four and four. The improvement there, I will note, though, is last year they were 0-7 without him. This year, at least they're 500. But we don't know when he'll be back. It could be... In a week, it could be another month. It's all just dependent on soreness, and that's such a challenge because you can't really put a timeline on it. It's all about how the knee responds and how Victor feels um, more than anything. Yeah, but it is good that Indiana has the players now and the personnel where if Victor Oldie, is clearly their best player, goes down, they're able to rotate guys in who can play that spot. And still, like as you said, they're not – uh, they're not winning all their games, but they are 500 with him without him. So that's uh, a positive if you're a Pacers fan. When Victor goes down, who do the Pacers turn to to get more playing time, and who's really stepped up and assumed that role? Well, Doug McDermott's played really well the last several games. Uh, he's been averaging in double figures on that last road trip. Until then, it was a little bit murky. He and his teammates were still trying to feel each other out to understand um, how they can best utilize McDermott within the flow of the offense. They weren't looking his way or they weren't uh, making the necessary pass to get it to him. We've seen rookie Aaron Holiday get some minutes. He's earned a spot in the rotation for now. But I'll tell you, the biggest disappointment really to this point has been Tyreek Evans. This is a perfect match for him to step up and, and fill that void even more so um, than he could during the regular season um, before Victor got injured. The point of bringing in Tyreek on a one-year deal was to bring him to a winning situation, something he hadn't been a part of much in his career, and be that second playmaker beside Victor Oladipo. But with Vic out, this is really Evans's time. And, I mean, he's averaging career-low numbers and thus far has not been a great fit within this team's framework. Yeah, and that, I gotta consider that to be surprising because depend, seeing the year he had last year and seeing where he was headed, we thought this would be a year for him to really step up and play better and be a part of a winning team. Um, another guy that I want to talk about, maybe he's been a little disapp- a little more disappointing than what I thought he would be better in this situation. Uh, Kyle O'Quinn, looking at his numbers, he hasn't really been much help for the Pacers in, I'm assuming, limited time. Um, What can you tell us about Kyle O'Quinn and his role on this team? And is he trying to figure out where he fits in? No, basically, primarily, he was brought in to be an uh, an extra and to be a locker room guy. So him not playing and not having much of a role is entirely what we expected going into the season. Uh, He's played in, in 13 of the 23 games to this point, seen limited action. But more than anything, he knows his role, and that's to to keep guys fired up, to keep them focused, to keep them energized on the bench, to point out things that maybe he recognizes after being in the league a half dozen years. Going into the season, I'll tell you, Nate McMillan told me, yeah, he's our fifth big. Well, T.J. Leaf right now, the team's first-round pick last year, 
isn't outside the rotation, and Kylo Quinn's right behind him. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's a kind of a log jam at that forward and center position because you got Thaddeus Young who's still there. Uh, he's playing decent minutes. Uh, Miles Turner has been playing uh, a little bit below his career averages, but still playing well. And there's just a lot of a lot of maybe traffic jam would be the word I'm seeing. But another guy who's played well for the Pacers um, is just an outside. He's a stretch four or maybe even an oversized three. That would be, if I can pronounce this right, Bojan Bogdanovich. Uh, he's played Boyan well for the Pacers. Yeah. Boyan. Okay, got it, got it. You got to learn how the to pronounce Sacramento that name. The Sacramento Kings have Bogdan, and they just played yeah. over the weekend, and they'll play again this upcoming weekend. So a lot of people will get those two confused, even though they have no relationship. They're not related. They barely uh, know each other, quite frankly. They're re- they're not related. I did not know that. I actually thought they were related. Okay. Learn something new on every edition of Wide Men Can't Jump. So we learned <laughs> that today. I did not know they were not related. But he's averaging 16 points per game. Uh, he's almost at four rebounds per game, and he's actually averaging a steal per game. What has he been doing to help the Pacers out? Is he just doing outside shooting, or is he uh, helping stretch the floor more, maybe help him more with spacing, cutting to the basket, assists? What, what's he doing that's really got this Pacers team working with him in the lineup? Yeah, you're on it. He's probably been the biggest pleasant surprise, if you will, this season, I would say, uh, with Boyan, what he's been able to do. You mentioned various things. Well, he's done all of it. And that's been the most rewarding part for him and this team to this part. What, uh, what has jumped out to me and what I wrote about last week on TheAthletic.com is how he's driving and, and being far more aggressive. Now, his drives per game aren't actually uh, more frequent than last year. They're um, to a small degree down. But he's looking to attack. He's driving with extreme confidence, and I think that's the biggest thing. He's shooting and playing with extreme confidence, and a lot of that probably goes to him finding um, comfort within this current situation, being here now more than a year, having the confidence. And also keep in mind, he's one of a half dozen Pacers that are in a contract year and right now earning $10 million. He's well worth that and a little bit more with the way he's been playing. He's, he's made clear that he is a starter in this league, and he hadn't backed down to uh, opponents at any time. Even more so to that end, I'll say his defense has impressed me as well. I mean, when the Pacers have... Uh, face LeBron James, he's often the guy that gets tagged with those responsibilities along with that young. And nobody can do them by themselves. That's what the Pacers always preach. It takes multiple defenders. But Boyan pleasantly, surprisingly, uh, handled it very well, and he's having a strong year, a, a great performance from him this year. And you mentioned Sabonis earlier uh, as we were talking. He is in his um... – I believe third year here in the league, came in two years ago. Um, against Phoenix the other night, he had 21-16. and 16. Against the Lakers, he had 20-15. and 15, But then struggled against the Kings with only six, 6.7 rebounds, five assists. But he's averaging a double-double right now on the season. And this guy is going to probably blossom into one of the – a really good young player for the Pacers – what does he have to do to keep his numbers up and to take that next step into becoming a big-time pro? Because he's going to be looking at a new contract here in a couple of years. Yeah, even before the season, Kevin Pritchard, the Pacers president, told me even before it was finalized, he was like, yeah, it's a no-brainer. We're picking up his option for next year, which will be uh, his fourth year, his final year under his rookie-scale deal. And, and you highlighted his numbers. 
Um, and I think the biggest thing that attributed to his numbers being down Saturday is he's just not feeling right, right, right now. He has a few nicks and bruises. And also, if people caught the game against the Lakers last Thursday, uh, he got fouled hard by Tyson Chandler to the point they went to the monitor and ruled it a flagrant one. Well, that hurt his back. He's still not feeling great, not even close to 100%. But he's a guy that if he suits up or is a game-time decision, go ahead and count on him playing. He's a fierce competitor. He's a tough guy that I don't think gets enough credit um, for his desire to play and to play, play tough, especially in a league that's gone away from the toughness and the physicality. He embraces it and welcomes it. He just has a, a tremendous natural skill set. Um, the team, that second unit, because he's not a starter. He comes in with the second unit, but plays starter tight minutes around 30 minutes per game. He's a guy that they want to run the offense through because of his instincts and his passing ability as well. And, yeah, over the last four games before that Sacramento game, he's well past that double double mark into the 20-point, 15-rebound territory. He's going to be an all-star. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, and honestly, right now could be considered one of the way too early to call six men of the year nominees, as far as I'm concerned, not playing starters. Men. And most Derek improved Rose. player as well, if you want yeah. to keep that award in town. Yeah, definitely. Definitely with Victor Oladipo last year, now we could see that change, and you could see Sabonis pick it up. Victor just kind of hands it off to him. Um, but, again, six man of the year wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. Of course, Derek Rose and Lou Williams garner a lot of attention there. So it, it's 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 interesting as we're basically a fourth of the way through the season so far, and we're seeing how these young players, some of them, are stepping up. And Sabonis is one of my favorites coming out of Gonzaga. I, I loved watching him play a few years ago. And I'm glad to see that he's getting a chance and an opportunity in Indiana now. But with Oladipo kind of, you know, game-time decisions at, almost at all times now, the Indiana Pacers are getting ready to enter – into a stretch uh, of games, if I did my research correctly here, they're getting ready to enter uh, a stretch of games where they are playing, uh, well, they got the Bulls coming up tomorrow, so and then the Magic, the Kings, the Wizards, the Bucks, the Sixers. So Yeah, it's a weekly kind of schedule, a mix- and it's a home-friendly schedule, where they're 9-14 yeah, through the end of this month and six of their next eight at home. This is a real opportunity for them to capitalize, especially without Victor. Yeah, they got a weaker part of their schedule coming up, but at the same time, they're at home against the Bucks, and then uh, two days later they are on the road to Philly. Then they get the Knicks and the Cavs, or who are weak, but then they travel to Toronto. So while they do have more weaker games uh, coming up, after there's still some games in there that they're going to have tough opponents in the East and potential playoff opponents. Without Oladipo, what can they do to take that that step into playing up to their competition if Victor Oladipo is not back? I think, for one, they lack his energy when he's out off the floor. Uh, He sits right on the bench in a suit, but it's hard to replicate that energy if you're not out there and being the fire starter, if you will, out on the floor. I'd like to see someone take over that role a little bit. Uh, of providing that spark, of providing that energy when he's not suited up in a game uniform because I would not expect to see him within the next week, let's say, at the least. Technically, he is out indefinitely. And it, what what the Pacers have gone to see those last couple of games is just how difficult it is to win a game in the NBA. You go against the Lakers, and while they're generally not a contender, just like I don't think the Pacers are, 
That's a hard game to win in L.A. LeBron goes off for nearly a triple-double. Then you go to Sacramento, and it's not a very good Sacramento team. They're only 500, probably better than most of us expected, quite frankly. But self-inflicted wounds is what um, did the Pacers in their previous game. They turned it over a season-high 24 times. They never led by more than seven. Um, they, they allowed the inside presence of Willie Cauley-Stein um, battle them and De'Aaron Fox. Uh, was all over Darren Collison, forcing two turnovers of the final minute 12. So I think more than anything in that game as well, this was on the Pacers for losing their composure a little bit and and turning the ball over. So I think someone needs to provide the energy. And then I also think they they need to minimize their turnovers that have uh, really caused an issue in the last couple of losses. Yeah, and the Pacers are a team that my co-host and myself uh, are both really high on. He actually picked the Pacers to end up as the one seed in the East this season. Whoa. Um, he did. Is, he is did. there he, something in his drink while you're recording, or what? <laughs> no, we were both really high on Indiana this season, as well as Milwaukee, of, of course. And before the season, we went with our predictions. I had Indiana, I believe, at the two myself uh i thought the improvement they they had with player and if old depot's healthy you know maybe maybe we're on to something but right now they're sitting at the five seed so not out of the realm of possibilities of course most people have the raptors circled as your perennial team to beat in the east right now but boston's starting to surge but if you had to take a guess right now and looking let's just say old depot comes back is healthy he comes back soon, and he's healthy and is able to play up to the level he played last year. Realistically, where do you think this Indiana team should end up come the end of the season? And of course, this is really early predictions, but it, it's always fun to, to look at. <laughs> Those that know me know I hate predictions, but I'll, I'll provide them for you anyway. My, my big question mark going it. into the year, I think like many, was Toronto, and it was just because I was unsure of being in a contract year, at what level would we see uh, ultimately, after that trade, would we see Kawhi play at? And so because of that, I think originally I said Boston, Milwaukee. Um, no, I said Boston, uh, Philadelphia, I think, Indiana, then Toronto, then Milwaukee. But I think the way it's turned out, I think Toronto's the clear number one, and I think Boston will figure it out. I think they're a move away. And what I mean by that is almost sending a player away. They have too much talent. And when, when Gordon Hayward's now come back, the roles are not quite defined. Guys think they're better than they are or should have greater contributions. I think it's without doubt that Boston has the most talent. They're just trying to figure out the chemistry and role aspect of everything. That said, I think best-case scenario probably for the Pacers would be in that four spot after what we've seen, and I would say that's behind Toronto, Milwaukee, and Boston. That, the Eastern Conference right now is looking stronger and stronger um, up top, at least, because uh, Detroit's playing well this season so far. Granted, they've played a few less games than, than the Pacers. They've had the same amount of wins. However, Detroit has um, three less losses. They're 13-7, and seven, where Indiana, Boston, both 13-10. and 10. But then once you get back to the 6-7 and seven spot, everybody's under 500. So right now the East looks one through six almost looks like it can go about any way. So it's interesting to look at early on in the season. Of course, Toronto right now is the runaway favorite, but I think Indiana is a sleeper team in the East this season. I think when they get all 
system's healthy, they figure out exactly what Nate McMillan wants rotation-wise, I think Indiana could be a dangerous team moving forward. Right now they sit at the five, uh, Boston creeping up on them, but it's it's early again. So with Indiana's December – It just all depends on Oladipo's status, quite frankly. It does. Right? If he's out – they're not a top five team in the Eastern Conference, at least uh, with the way Tyreek's not contributing at the level we all expected. Yeah, and that, that that's what I was getting to is with Tyreek Evans not playing up to snuff so far. What what do you think the Pacers can do to re, maybe rejuvenate him or get him in sync or figure out what kind of role he needs to play within this team? Oh, good question. I wish the coaching staff was – or if I was being paid by them to figure this out. I, I think I think from what I've seen this season is that Tyreek's a rhythm player. When he starts off well, sees a couple shots go down or maybe gets a steal defensively, that's what re- he can really thrive off of. And so many times, especially in his current role, he's coming off the bench, so it's taking him a while to kind of feel the game out, feel out his rollout, um, and those sorts of things. Maybe what they need to do is a little bit of force-feeding to him early in games or look to him call his number a little bit early in games and see if that can um, get him going, get him, get him in rhythm. And then I also think the Pacers perhaps would like more of a, a dominating or influential performances for Miles Turner on the offensive end. I have no problems with generally what he's done on the defensive end. His blocks have been up in recent games. He's rebounding a little bit better and playing with a little more physicality. He's always going to be a little bit light in the rear. But he's a guy that if the Pacers perhaps could get, fit, excuse me, maybe 15 points per game rather than 10 or 11, those little things can make a difference for this team that would like to get a little bit more on the offensive end because their defense has been strong. It's been good enough to win games. Yeah, their defense really has stepped up as, uh, you know, the Sacramento Kings, just looking back at that last game, even in a loss, they only allowed 111 points, which is low for that Kings team this season as they've been putting up ridiculous numbers on offense as De'Aaron Fox has figured out where he needs to be. But one last question, and I'll let you go. Don't know if we've got – I haven't really got to watch a lot of Pacers games this year with my schedule and, and things of that nature, but I did want to ask Aaron Holiday, what have you heard on him? What's his status? Uh, probably not figured into the rotation, at least I don't think. But the rookie this season, what do you think – his status in Indiana is going to be this season. Well, early on, it was not a player they were sending out on the court, was not in the rotation whatsoever. Um, Some circumstances changed. There was some foul trouble. And about midway through last month, he got an opportunity, played just 15 minutes, and I think he he scored a dozen points. Since that point, I wrote it immediately after the game, Pacers had to give a look to him. I mean, he had played not just seen the shot go down because we knew he's a scorer. We knew he could hit three or four three-pointers. And what was most impressive about that, I remember, is his, one of the first plays in. He got the ball, raced down to the other end, and it pulled up for a three-pointer seconds into the shot clock. You don't really see that from first-round picks, from rookies, especially, you know, not lottery picks. And the Pacers were able to surprisingly grab him at 23 uh, in June's draft. And right now, over the last, I don't know, 10 games, he has been in the rotation playing about a dozen minutes per game. And I think he will stay there as long as he can keeps contributing the way he has been. Most of his minutes have been coming the late first quarter um, into that second quarter. And then the second half is dependent more so how he played and then on the matchups. Because he's also a good defender. He's just a little bit undersized. 
uh, around six foot, six foot one. Yeah, well, he's a good player, and the Pacers got a steal, I thought, there um, when they got him late in the draft. So I'm looking for good things from him, and I, I happen to be a fan of all the Holiday brothers. I think they all play well and are good. Good, they seem to be very good people as well. So it's, it's hard not to root no, for I, them. No, that's but. been my impressions as well. I we recently went to Chicago for a game, and of course that's where Justin's at. And um, after the game, I went over and talked to him because I wanted to hear his side of things about the family. And because Aaron's the youngest of four kids, three older bro- or two older brothers in the league, and then Lauren was one of the better athletes in the family, but. Um, she suffered injuries that prevented any type of a professional career, but they've all been an inspiration. Aaron embraces it completely being the fourth. He had sweatshirts made that were, that have the fourth on them, black, black hoodie, which is really cool. And then also <laughs> add, you asked me about short-term perspective, big term, long-term perspective with Aaron is that he's your backup or starting point guard because there are two point guards that are their leaders every game, Darren Collison, and Corey Joseph. There are two more guys on the Pacers roster that are currently in the final year of their contract. And so who knows what their future is with this franchise moving forward, at least especially long-term, looking four or five years down the road. And I think Aaron's shown that he is at minimum a rotational backup point guard in this league. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, what the Pacers do. Is They kind of have a little bit of a crowded backcourt, but that's a – story for another day and scott thank you so much for getting on here and talking with me a little bit and taking some of your time and uh making time after pacers practice today and giving us a few uh insights into the indiana pacers uh let our listeners know where they can find you and where they can listen in to you on your podcast yeah well thanks for having me on thanks for bearing with me a little bit we had a long road trip and i I'm still dealing with a little bit of jet lag, but I wanted to make time for you, so it was good to have this conversation. So I'm oh, no, I really appreciate it. Pacers day to day. I cover the Pacers day to day with the Athletic. We have a great app. That's the best way to consume my work. But it's also on theAthletic.com, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Scott Agnes. You can follow me there as well. All right. Well, Scott, thank you so much again for getting on here, and we'll have you back hopefully sooner rather than later, and we'll talk some more Indiana Pacers, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking about how right we were when we said Indiana would sneak up the Eastern Conference standings and get up close to that 1-2 seed. Yeah, let's do it. Have a great week. All right. You too. Thanks a lot, Scott. Boom! That was my conversation with Scott Agnes of The Athletic talking Indiana Pacers and all things Indiana. Tim, you still with me, man? You gotta love a man who, when he's told somebody picked his team to be number one, came right back with, are you drunk? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like he knows Tom. I'm kidding, DR. We love you. Rom Dobinson. Rom Dobinson, the search continues. But, man, we are in serious overtime right now, and no extra charge to you folks out there. Thanks for listening to Wide Men Can't Jump this week. This is episode 56, titled The Injury Bug, because everybody's been hurt lately, it seems. But, uh, Tim, thank you so much again for joining me while Mr. Robinson is absent due to work. As always. Told always, you, I'm now the good. permanent co-host of this show. Uh, Tom Robinson is an interloper. <laughs> Until otherwise. 
until otherwise told. But uh, we Until do want to thank Dave Johnson. Yeah. We do want to thank Dave Johnson. We want to thank Scott Agnes and Shane Young all for jumping on. Next week, Michael Walton will be on. I talked to Michael this morning. Uh, Michael's going to be joining us talking about the Bulls situation. We're going to get a week of Chicago Bulls in to uh, discuss if the firing of Hoiberg was right and what Michael thinks as he works for NBC Sports yeah. uh, Chicago. Yeah, go ahead. Michael Walton, like the the youngest brother on the Waltons. Oh, okay. God. No. <laughs> Come on, the Fonz one went over big, so the Waltons one. Yeah, the Fonz one was good. Uh, that was pretty good. That one, uh, I couldn't but, yeah, remember the, the names of any of the Walton boys, so. I mean, although I watched the show. But, yeah, Michael anyway. Walton will be with us uh, next week. I talked to him this morning. Actually, <laughs> he was going to jump on today. Could you imagine if Michael Walton had been on? Good Lord, oh, good the Lord. show would have been three hours. We'll have to go to but, a three and a half hour and start calling us between the sheets. Yeah, really. <laughs> something to basketball with here. But uh we do want to thank uh do want to thank all of our guests for being on. Michael Walton will be joining us next week. Make sure you guys are checking out widemancanjump.com. Different writings and things going up soon. We want to thank our sponsors, the law offices of Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, wowfreecam.com as well. You can find us on iTunes, Podcast Addict Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, iHeartRadio, Pod Paradise. And now on WideMenCan'tJump.com. We have a podcast feed over there. Yeah. So if you just want to go to the website and get Beautiful. it there, you can listen that way. Thanks again to all of our guests. Sweet. Thanks, thanks to all of you for listening. You can follow us on Wide Jump on Twitter at uh, MMITM Nathan, at TR Shock, and at Tileman68 to follow myself, Tom, and Tim. You want to join the Wide Men Can Jump podcast group? It's on Facebook. It's a secret group. Let us know. We'll get you in there. All kinds of great discussions going on as of late. And uh, on a side note, we want to issue a uh, condolences to, we're, as wrestling fans, condolences to the family of the Dynamite Kid, as Dynamite Kid passed away today at the age of 60. So uh, our condolences go out to his family. Dynamite Kid was an all-time great, and uh, we do wish uh, his family the best in these uh, sad times. But uh, we do thank you guys for listening out there. Tim, anything else you want to add before we go home? No, but I'm not going to botch the exit this week. Not you, sir. Never. I botched it last week. All right. What do you got for me? I'm going going, going to the old school. And it's quite fitting with the Dynamite Kid. We're going to go to the Ed Whalen call. Okay. In the meantime, and in between time, that's it. Another edition of White Men Can't Jump. Thanks for listening to this show on the Wide Men Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com slash wide men can't jump. You can download this and any other episode from our network at iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pod Paradise, Google Play, Player FM, and anywhere you find your favorite podcast. This show has been brought to you by the law offices of Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, facebook.com slash makeupkennedy, and wowfreecam.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Wide Jump. You can follow us on Instagram at Wide Men Can't Jump and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Wide Men Can't Jump. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Also, rate the show and tell us how we did. If you love us, please give us a five-star rating. Again, thanks for listening to this episode on the Wide Men Radio Network. Tune in, same time, same place, for the Wide Men Radio Network at blogtalkradio.com slash wide men can't jump.